Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 151 of the Classic Gaming Podcast. Today's date is October 2nd, 2020. I'm Robert Ring. With me is the beautiful Mr. Jay Totoro. Hello. And also, a very special guest today, Mr. Jeffrey Wachter. Hey, <laughs> I... I see what Jay's saying about being caught off guard yeah. by the intro. Even though, even though it's not, it's coming. Oh, I usually warn people too. So, for those of you who haven't listened to the last couple episodes and hadn't heard about this, we're having Jeff on for this episode uh, for kind of a combined couple of reasons. Jeff is, we believe, our first ever emailer from way back, way back when. Uh, there, there was one person that predated me, Bed. Ben Woodring. Oh, he oh, got. Yeah. Oh, I remember. Yeah, I know Ben. I remember Ben. So his email, he he came first. Yeah. So okay. he emailed a couple times before me, but he kind of came and went. But I, I had staying power. You're the longest one that's still around, as far as emailing goes. And yeah, um, we uh, decided to tie him into this episode, which is our game of the quarter episode. Uh, so that so the, our game of the quarter is Civ- Civilization Four. And so we thought it would be fun to kind of have Jeff on and also us, the three of us play, which we have done, uh, a multiplayer game together of Civ 4. And uh, so this will be the time for Jeff to come on and we can all three talk about it. We have Jeff on as a, as a guest, as a longtime emailer, and kind of uh, just have a big, good old time. You forgot about the third reason, too, though. It's the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Jeff's dying. <laughs> <laughs> he, had, he had combos for the first time and now his body's reacting poorly. He did. <laughs> Jeff had combos for the first time. Uh, so Jeff and two of our other friends had combos for the first time. And uh, I was very surprised that none of them really cared for the classic cheese and pretzel combos. Jay. Yeah, they were, <laughs> they were not well, good. Jay, you like, you're a com- you like combos, right? I mean, yeah, I'll eat them if they're there. I don't like if I go to the store and I'm like, I want something salty. Combos aren't like my first choice, but if they're there, you but, know, but, but sometimes they might be like a second or third or fourth choice. Yeah, hundred percent. Like especially at the gas station, which is where they're generally found. They're yeah. a pretty pretty good choice at the gas station. But it was like nobody who had kind of grown up, I guess, with combos. Nobody else liked them besides people who had already had combos. Yeah, I didn't actually grow up with them. I tried them for the first time when I was like twenty five or twenty six. We walked to the gas station, oh, wow. got cookies one time. We we're like. What the fuck are these? And they were on sales. We're like, okay, let's try them. Sure enough, they're pretty good. But Jeff, you weren't a fan. No, I had had them when I was a little kid, so I, I was aware of them. But it had been like thirty years. But the original combos, no, it was too artificial. It kind of tasted like cheese whiz to me. Yeah. But then I did try other flavors, and the jalapeno cheddar were legitimately good. Like I don't know if I would buy them. I don't usually eat that kind of stuff, but I would eat them again if they were available. Um, okay. I think I got to try the jalapeno ones still. I've only had the regular ones and like a couple other kinds that weren't really that great. If if you're listening and you want to try combos and write in about it, we'd love to hear your opinion. Oh, yeah, we, please. Send we us those we combos built a, a bit of a tier or a hierarchy of, of combos. and It's pretty consistent. Yes, please yeah. send in all of your thoughts about combos. And I would just say avoid buffalo blue cheese because i love anything buffalo and i absolutely love blue cheese much like rob said in the last podcast one of my favorite foods but the Mm. buffalo blue cheese combos were just very bland like not bad but just like what's the point okay that's good to know because yeah 
I would have definitely given those a shot. And I may still just now out of curiosity, but at least my uh, expectations will be tempered. Yeah. I mean, I still ate the whole bag. Don't get me wrong, but just. Right, right. They're not bad, but you just wouldn't probably, you just wouldn't ever pick them out again. No, certainly not. Um, Jeff, real quick, I have a question. How did you originally discover the podcast? That's funny that you asked because I was going to talk about that during my game. Oh, good. Do you want to hold <laughs> so off? I... Do you want to? It's up to you. Yeah, I think it'll make a good intro. Okay, so I'll, I'll save it. Okay, cool. Um, also, I saw in a, just a minute ago you sent us a message on Discord that said, "I'm trying to find it now." Um, you posted a screenshot of your. You said this is my first ever interaction with you guys, and it was on Twitter. This was 2015. Um, so let's see, what do we say? Um, like almost five and a half years ago. Yeah. We're doing the three games that most deserve to be finalists next year. What is this for the, um, it's the video game hall of video fame. game hall of fame. Yeah. Right. Right. And then you responded and said, I have two. Oh, okay. And you gave us your list. And yeah. so that's funny. That's interesting that, that, that was your first interaction, but also I saw like this morning, I think. That you liked that tweet. I saw it on uh, Twitter and I was like, why did Jeff just like a tweet from five years ago? <laughs> I was so fucking confused. I was going to ask you about that. But now now I know. I was trying to go back and figure out when the first time, because I know I didn't email for a few months because I just felt like I didn't, I was a little bit intimidated. You know, you guys are so, uh, you know, God tier podcasters. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Please stop. Exactly. No, yeah, don't. So. So, uh, yeah, but that was the first time I'm like, oh, Twitter's easy. And it's funny because I'm like very much a lurker on Twitter. So I don't post things. I barely even retweet things. And that's like kind of a newer thing. But yeah, so for me to like reach out to you guys and then I think one of you liked my tweet or reacted to it. It was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this. (laughs) We interacted with you. And then you realize we're just super nerds. I did, though, like two months ago, uh, SNES Drunk and I were talking on Twitter, and I um, I don't know if you guys don't really watch sports, but Tori Hunter is a baseball player that retired, and he used to be on the Twins and the Angels, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I said something about him having a great interview moment. He was on Jim Rome, and uh, Jim Rome asked if he wears a cup. He's like, I hear you don't wear a cup, and he's like, oh, no, too much going on down there. <laughs> 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 and so I, I quoted that and, and I like tagged him or, you know, added him and Tori Hunter liked the tweet between me and Snesha. No shit. That's yeah, hilarious. We oh, hell yeah. Oh my God. Like a retired baseball player is like liking my tweet. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. So, um, as I said, we, uh, this is game of the quarter. We talking about Civ four in a little bit. But um, first, unless Jay, unless you have anything fun or interesting, or you, Jeff, anything else to talk about, we'll we'll talk about classic gaming related news. No, just yeah. excited to have you on here, Jeff. You know, we've obviously talked on and off doing a variety of different activities. So de- welcome, welcome, definitely happy, happy to have you here. Welcome aboard. Thanks, I'm very excited. I've been looking forward to this so much. I can't even tell you guys. This is like a big deal for me. I'm very happy. good. Well, um, okay, classic gaming news. Uh, several. Uh, games, whether classic or just kind of uh, the most recent in a long-running series, have been announced. Disgaea 6 has been announced. Either of you guys a Disgaea fan? Not particularly, no. Not really? Yeah, I, I played the first one, and I didn't like it as much as I thought I would. 
Um, it wasn't bad, but it just just couldn't really, really get into it. But anyway, Disgaea 6 has been announced. It's coming out for Switch summer of 2021. A new R-Type, huh? I loved the first one. I oh, thought did it was you? Incredible. Yeah, and then the second one came out, and it was one where I was like, oh, I got I to gotta get that. And then I swear it was like before I knew it, there was a third one, and it's like a real, you know, just like seemed like they were constantly pumping and churning them out. And I was like, yeah, I don't think so. They all look the same to me. Hmm, okay. Anyway. There's a new, there's new R-Type coming out. R-Type Final 2 has been announced. It's going to be out spring 2021. Uh, PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and uh, PC. Which I wonder if it's gonna be on the new uh PlayStation Xbox. I don't know. Probably. Yeah, I would, I would think. I would, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. I would think. Um. Ooh, and there's something else that I forgot. I'll have to bring up some details real quick. Um. Uh, 3DS production is officially over. Not classic, really, at all. But um, still, it's like the end of an era. Well, I guess the yeah. era has has kind of already been over. But just to hear, like, they're finally, it's actually it's actually done now, is a sad day because that is a very people really like the 3ds, myself included. It's a good system. Lisa really likes it. It is a great system. Um, great system. The the handheld itself is just really. It feels good. It looks good. It works really well. Um, it has a, an amazing and enormous library. It's just a, it, like you said. Simply put, it's just a great system. And but it's uh, obviously with the Switch, they haven't been focusing on that as much. And now it's it's time has come. But if you, I would say, if you don't have a 3DS, get one. And just there are. Tons and tons of great games for it. It's a it's it's a console that will give you a lot of hours. Um, a new Mist game has been announced. Interesting. Yes, uh, VR Mist for Oculus. It's a remake of the original Mist, complete remake, and obviously in in VR. And uh, that really does fit. If you know anything about Mist, it's all like first person. That was one of the kind of the weird things that they did with yeah, it. Because hmm? I, I haven't done any VR, but from everything I've heard, some of the best stuff is just the uh, just basically experiences, like things you can look at and kind of hang out with. So because of that, not having action and everything, it seems like it would translate really well to VR. I think so, it will. Um. I, and it just Ron, seems to really fit the original. Like, uh, walking simulators, or I don't, I don't know if that's what they call them, but you know what I'm talking about. Some of them, about. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've seen a lot of people stream those as well. So do you think that you would enjoy VR walking simulators? Like, would it be more immersive, or do you think it would be too much? Like, you wouldn't be able to look at it as a it's, story. It's funny. I have a, Well, my daughter has uh, the PS4 VR, and so I've, so I've played a little bit of VR, and I've never, I don't know why, but I've never even considered that. I've never even thought about whether I would or not. Um, I think I really would. I think it, I don't, yeah, no, I don't think there's any sense of like, oh, it'd be too much. I, I think just flat out that would, I would probably really like, you know, the, the walking simulator games that I do like, I don't see any, any downside of playing those in VR. I think it would be great. Any of them. 
Fair enough. Uh, what else? Classic Konami games. A few of them have been released on GOG. Kind of came out of nowhere. The original Metal Gear. Metal Gear Solid. Metal Gear 2 Substance, which is kind of like a slightly expanded version of the original of, of Metal Gear Solid 2. And the Konami Collector Series Castlevania and Contra, which is that one includes Castlevania, Castlevania 2, Castlevania 3, Contra, and Super C. Those just kind of randomly got dropped on GOG. Um, so obviously they are the PC ports of those games. I have heard uh, kind of mixed things about the collectors about the Castlevania and Contra Collector Series. It seems like the stability isn't great on that, and a lot of people are having problems running it. Mm. But those are all uh, on PC, on GOG now, if you want to check them out. Um, where do I go from here? Oh, NHL, huh? That was what I was just going to ask about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just today, EA, and I, I read this on Destructoid, EA announced that um, a... Pre-order incentive. So you can't. You can only get this as a pre-order incentive for NHL 2021. But if you pre-order NHL 21, you're going to get NHL 94 Rewind, which is new, like current hockey players and teams and all in rosters and all that. Um, in NHL 94 engine, basically. So it's like NHL ninety twenty uh, NHL twenty one kind of like D made into ninety four style graphics and engine and controls and feel and all that. That's kind of awesome. I the, besides yeah. the fact that it's only a pre order incentive. Were you gonna say something, Jay? Yeah. No, I was just agreeing with you. I I would imagine that if they've already put all the work in and created it, it's like for now, it's just a pre-order incentive, but wouldn't they want to release it later on like an eShop or something to get five bucks, 10 bucks out of people that don't want the new NHL game, but just want to play some different version of NHL. Maybe. Yeah. Possible. I think it's definitely, I, you know, I can't, I can't say for sure, but I think it's certainly possible. I know that you guys have talked about NHL 94 before, but I really have, wasted and sunk so many hours into that game <laughs> there was one summer where i well so my twitter name is syphil jeff eight and syphil is from this stupid show syphil and ollie as like a sock puppet show on <laughs> on mtv i googled it for you so it's like my my parents would go to bed and then from like nine o'clock until midnight when that show came on or beavis and butthead i forget which came first i would play like a few hours of nhl then I would watch those shows, and then I would play NHL until the sun was about to come up, and then I would go to sleep. <laughs> and I played, wow. There was like two summers where I played through so many seasons, and it's like I would just have different goals. Like, I'm going to try to make like this not good, like my defensive player lead the league in goals, or I'm going to make a creative player <laughs> that's not even that good, and he's going to be like the MVP. And oh, I love that game so much. It's a very good game. It is fantastic. It is great. I used to play it not to that degree, but yeah, I used to definitely play a lot of that game. Um, Microsoft bought Zenimax, which is the parent company of Bethesda. Uh, Bethesda has been kind of sucking a little bit lately, in a lot of people's opinions. 
Yeah. It doesn't include uh, Obsidian, though, correct? I b- correct. I believe it does not include. Yeah, yeah Obsidian good. is like a company that they basically outsourced stuff yeah, to. Then we're good. My understanding. So you're Jay. You're a obviously a Fallout fan. Um, I think we've talked eh, about it before. Not recently, but yeah. Right, not the recent ones, but some of the other ones. Mm-hmm. I think you're more of a. You're a little, a little slightly more vested in Bethesda games than I am. What do you think? How do you feel about this? I don't really think it matters. I mean, Bethesda's kind of shown their true colors in the last little bit. I mean, you you always remember the uh, pre-purchase incentives for Fallout 4, right? That whole meme scene. I don't remember. That was Fallout oh, 4. Oh, 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 was, the, was the, that Fallout 76? The canvas bag yeah, shortage? That was Fallout 76, wasn't it? No, 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 uh, oh, yeah, yeah, it was. It was, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, between that, Fallout 4, in my opinion, being subhuman garbage, them pushing <laughs> mobile apps, just they, they haven't produced a quality product, in my opinion, in quite a while. So as long as Obsidian's doing their thing, which Obsidian is breaking off and doing two projects, I believe, that both look pretty interesting. Oh, speaking of that, I have, I have some new stuff I want to talk about when we get to there. Okay. Um, well, just, oh, PS5, not classic related, but interesting anyway. PS5 info has been released. Um, it's coming out November 12th. There are two versions. A $399 version and a $499 version. The $399 does not have a disk drive. The $499 does. And uh, that's I guess that's kind of the main thing there. Um how do you guys feel about this one? Probably not going to buy it. <laughs> yeah. Do you think you ever will? No. Maybe, maybe, nah. I don't think. I, I Switch is like the exception for me. I'm, I'm more of a PC person to begin with, but maybe. But it's just like there's not really anything that excites me about those systems enough for me to justify spending that amount of money. I'm kind of the same. I'm, yeah. I'm almost exactly the same way. Yeah, Switch was different for me. I'm mostly PC. Otherwise, I I, I have a feeling. I'm I'm not so I'm not going to get this right off the bat or anything. But I and I'm not really very interested in it right now in general. But I have a feeling I will eventually get it. A, maybe two or three years after it comes out, just because <laughs> it's happened with PS3 and PS4 now. I didn't get them at first, but then eventually I got them for whatever reason. I think it'll probably happen with PS5. Not with Xbox, but I think with this with this it will. Yeah, I think I'm going to build a new computer this year as well during Black Friday, so definitely oh, that's not cool. going to be... Yeah, I'm, I'm strongly considering It's been a while since I've... I, I have like kind of a Frankenstein machine over the last five years, so I definitely need to do a, a full rebuild soon. Dude, I was... I think I might have told you this. My computer I built seven years ago. Yeah, mine might be even older to be honest with you. It's just like pieces over time. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've I've replaced the graphics card for sure, and I've added some RAM. But besides that, that's all that I've done to it. And it's it could be a little faster. You know, I, if I was running on a solid state drive, yeah, obviously that would be uh, sure. that would be killer for load times, especially on like Civ six and stuff like that. The load times are nuts. But um, I mean, honestly, right now I'm still it's still running pretty well, and I'm still. Besides, you know, some long load screens, I'm still pretty happy with it. So I don't know. I might, I'm, it might still be another year or so before I upgrade. But I think it's going to be coming pretty soon. Yeah. Jeff, any interest in the I, PS5? I, no, you know, I really only play older games. I I do have a PS4, which I bought because I was like very late on Dark Souls. But once I got into Dark Souls, I was like, okay, I have to play Dark Souls three and um, what's the other one? Bloodborne. 
So I got oh, yeah. I bought a used PS4 that came with uh, Bloodborne and a couple other games, and uh, it was well worth it. I mean, I use it for a bunch of different stuff, but I, the next system I buy is going to be a Switch, and that's probably going to be in like a year because I'm always just so far behind. But I am eventually going to have to play Zelda on Switch. It's so good, man. It's such a great game. Yeah, I've just there's so many good games on Switch and so many good re-releases of older games that they're coming out with pretty cheap and mm-hmm. oh yeah there's a bunch of those yeah so it's like a year and a half from now i'll probably spend like you know two hundred dollars and get a used switch and a, you know load up yeah especially once they announce the new one too right like the the whatever you call it the light or whatever the next generation is that's the word of the generation yeah next generation of switches like yeah, Whatever. the original one will go down in price. It'll be it'll probably be battery. If I had to guess, it'll probably be battery life and capacity. Because that's my one little complaint about the Switch is just the capacity of it, which is not a real complaint to be honest with you. But. Um, what is the? I, I added a, a giant SD card onto mine, but what is the base capacity? I do you know? I, I actually don't know. I actually didn't know you can do that. Is that expensive to do? I don't think it was cheap, but it wasn't crazy expensive either. I have to do that. Actually, I'll look into that. Thanks for that. There are like actual Nintendo produced SD cards for it. Um, wow. So I don't. I don't think they're any different from other SD cards. I don't think it matters. But uh, yeah, you can, it's it's all you do is just slide it in this one little spot. But yeah, you, that's you can expand the storage with those. That's what she said, by the way. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, another one. Another news thing. Another game that was announced. This was. In uh, alongside the PS5 release information, and this one was exciting to me because, as you guys know, I am now the world's biggest RPG fan. Final Fantasy 16 has been announced for uh, PS5 and PC, and looks pretty cool. Obviously, it didn't show a bunch of uh, actual gameplay. I think, it, I think it showed a tiny bit. Yeah, <gasps> big surprise there, but. One thing that looked really cool about it and that a lot of people were kind of saying seemed nice is that it's going back to a truer, kind of a more traditional fantasy setting, like, mm-hmm. like you know, the very first Final Fantasy, for instance, and, and I guess other stuff like... Uh, not dystopic. Maybe even... Ten- well, yes, not dystopic and not like borderline steampunk or industrial. Yeah. <laughs> Or straight up just having cars and stuff like that. It is actually a kind of more like you know medieval yeah. style fantasy setting, which that I think would be me. nice. The reason I bought a PS4 was for Final Fantasy 15. I bought it when that came out. Oh wow, really? And I I did buy that game like pre-order, and that's the first new game I've bought in at least ten years. How did you like Final Fantasy 15? I loved it. It was really fun. Um. But it didn't stick with me because the battle system was like kind of cool and simple, but I never felt like I was mastering it. I just kind of felt like I was getting by. And I really liked the characters a lot, like the main like five guys, but I didn't care about the story. So like when it got towards the end and it was like trying to get all serious and into it, I was not at all emotionally invested. I did not care what happened. I just wanted to beat it. Okay. <laughs> That's, but I that, did have a lot of fun with this, so I have no regrets. Gotcha. I yeah, that's one of those that you hear a lot of mixed things about. I have I think I w- will probably like that when, when years from now when I eventually get to play it. It for some reason it just seems 
I just feel like I, I just I just kind of had this feeling that I that I'll like it. Uh, as for Final Fantasy sixteen, now this is just a rumor, but the rumor is that they've actually been working on it for several years. Yeah, that's not surprising. So it's not going to be a situation like Final Fantasy VII where it comes out six years after they announce it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they generally work on those. Like, they, they, I, in my, From what my understanding is, like, it does take them, obviously, a few to several years to complete them. So they're generally oh, working yeah. on multiple projects. I mean, yeah, especially Final Fantasy XV and the Seven Remake both took fucking forever. Yep. Uh, just drop something. Hold on. Okay, that's the last piece of news I had. Who who was it that said you had something to add? Who was it? Who do you think it was? I bet it was Jay. A um, couple fun things. So uh, I don't know if you saw this, Robert, but Mike Morheim, who is one of the oh. original people who worked on Blizzard, started his own development company, which is called... Dreamhaven. Yes, you are correct. Yeah, he started his own... Uh, developer called Dreamhaven where they're working on two projects right now and the best part about it is they took a lot of the original talent, uh, not all the original talent, but they they took talent throughout the years of working for Blizzard. Uh, Dustin Browder, who was the lead for StarCraft 2 when Robert and I were really vested in StarCraft 2, he joined the team along with some other big names uh, which is really exciting to see because for a long time me and my my close friends and I have been saying man, wouldn't it be great if if Blizzard could just step away from Activision? This, this feels like that to me, right? Because it's essentially the people who, who made Blizzard are stepping away and creating their own development team. So I'm excited to see yeah, that's what great. they accomplish. That's exciting. Yeah, they, have, they said they're working on two projects. They haven't specified what it is, but I mean, th- taking the experience that they have, I would love to see their approach on a new MMO. Um, just to that's kind of what see, I was like, thinking. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the obvious one, right? Just yeah. to see what, what they'd come up with. I'm sure they'll release something really simple, like maybe something indie early on just to kind of build their brand and then have something larger down the line that will be a little bit more impactful. So I, I'm very excited to see what they come up with because, you know, these are the guys who, who realistically made Blizzard what what it was when it had a lot of respect to it. Um, on that note, actual Blizzard, here's the best part. I've been, oh, no. So Blizzard announced the, the release for Shadowlands for their expansion of, of October 26th. And everybody's, they announced it pretty late. Like, I think they announced it last month, like middle of last month, I think is when they announced it. It got delayed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's no release date at this point, uh, which is hilarious. So it's just, it's just it's just such a meme. And apparently what's very interesting, kind of classic related. So classic WoW, um, they are greatly expediting the timeline for it. The last raid instance, which based on like my understanding of the timeline of WoW, should be released somewhere towards the end of next year, or excuse me, towards the end of uh, the middle of next year, so like June or July. There's rumors that's coming out in December of this year, and they're actually going to step into the first expansion in July of next year. So they're doing like a much more expedited schedule than the original release. So it makes me wonder, from a from a, a um, negative perspective, like what what they're doing. And you know, it's Blizzard, so it's anybody's guess, but just kind of interesting. Blizzard's definitely. Uh, Trying some things, I guess, is the best way to put it. But I'm very excited about the, the Dreamhaven project. I think so so MMO is what you'd like to see. What do you think what do you think will be the first one or two projects from them? Do you think I have MMO? No idea. I don't know. It's it's really hard to say because I mean like they had Heroes of the Storm, which was a MOBA, and that flopped, and I don't think they'll try to do anything to that scale. I don't think they'll do anything that is like in contention with some of the top esports. So I don't think they'll do an FPS. They had, you know, um, Overwatch. I don't think they'll do a MOBA. They had Heroes of the Storm and that didn't do well. They may do a Diablo-esque thing because that that market right now has 
Diablo 3, which is shit, Diablo 4, which is quote-unquote in production, and then there's Path of Exile, which is made by Grinding Gears, which is a phenomenal game and really great developers that actually care about their product. So it, it, that might be a space for them to step into, but I don't feel like that's a space that's that's like begging for possibilities in terms right. of profit. I agree. So I, for me, it's got to be an MMO. I mean, MMOs right now are kind of hemorrhaging. There, there's not really one that is, that is leading the pack in a good way. Like, while still holding on to subscribers, yeah, sure, I, I totally get that. Blizzard won't release numbers, but people have leaked and said their numbers are, are good. So it's definitely a, a profitable product for them. But it's like you have WoW, you have Final Fantasy XIV, right? So 14, 14, yeah, 14. which is doing very well uh, to my understanding. But at the same time, there's this very hungry crowd that doesn't have anything to eat. And everybody's waiting for Amazon's MMO, which is going to which is gonna flop, in my opinion. I think it's going to be an absolute I have a feeling fire. you're right. Yeah. And then you have, um, what's the one we're all waiting for? Uh, the one I told you about. Oh, come on. Uh, you got me. I'm asking. Ashes of Creation. Ashes of Creation. That's the name of it. Thank you. Uh, Ashes of Creation, if anybody hasn't taken a look at it and likes MMOs, it, the developer of it, it was just a young guy who loved playing old school MMOs, got a shit ton of money together through capitalism, and then just decided he wanted to fund the products uh, project. So he bought a bunch of people from different large um organizations like big big time developers and he's been making it and it looks really good it's mm. the only mmo that i actually follow at this point so if if, if mike morheim wanted to step into that space i would love to see their approach with a fresh start of a new mmo because the other thing is like a lot of people are like well if he does do an mmo what is the lore basis going to be and who cares wow's lore is so fucked in my opinion obviously it's so fucked at this point like i don't know if you guys know but there there are spaceships in wow now they are going between planets and spaceships. Right? <laughs> I so did not like, know that. So, and, and and that's not to say, like, based on what I've read in the original like uh, books about WoW, they did talk about spaceships because there's a specific race that does use spaceships. And sure, but it's like we went from orcs versus humans to expanding into old gods, into demons, into void lords, into spaceships going to other planets. Like, hold on, like, okay, I think we can <laughs> probably end this lore and then move into a new project. So, I would love to see what they come up with because. You know, I'm sure they have had a lot of really cool ideas that they couldn't apply to the world of Azeroth or the uh, the universe that Azeroth resides in just because it didn't fit into that lorescape. So I, I would love to see what they're... I, I want to see the roadmap. I'm very excited about it. By the way, on Final Fantasy fourteen, I've been playing it a bit more lately again. And mm -hmm. I just, just now got to the f content of the first expansion. <laughs> That's crazy. I've been, I really enjoyed that game. I've been playing since December. Jesus. It is a, it is a really good game. Oh, by the way, that reminds me. Um, Jay, you said you've been you're going to or your goal is to play some classic MMOs for the podcast yeah. and periodically. But yeah, are you planning on playing Final Fantasy Eleven? Uh, I have played it before. It's really hard. so. There's a couple things that are really challenging with it. It is, um. You have to pay for it, which is not, not a challenging aspect, but I'm just very frugal. I've generally been playing MMOs that are free. The other thing is, last time I logged on, it's the, the primary community of that game is uh, not English-speaking. I don't know which language it is. I think it's some Asian- Gotta be Japanese, uh, right? I think so, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know Japanese. So when I see, like, um, you know, I, I just, I, it's really hard to communicate with people. So I'm a little concerned about that because, you know, part of MMO is the community. And if that doesn't exist, I think it's going to be a little bit interesting. But yeah, I'm looking to potentially play it. Okay, let me know if you do, because that, that I would be interested in playing that with you. Oh, you want to do that for our next game of the quarter? 
I'm down if you are. 100%. Fuck yeah, let's you're do talking it. to the MMO king, not the MMO king. I'm, I like MMOs a lot. I wouldn't call myself the MMO king because there are people <laughs> that are way more invested than I am. But yeah, I'm definitely down. We just decided our next game of the quarter? Yep. That Hell was yeah. This is going to be cool, I think. Definitely down. Um, although I do remember the first 10 levels or so, you don't really do much partying. Right? That's fine. I, I love grindy MMOs, and okay. it, it's apparently one of the most grindy MMOs. Oh, really? Okay. I, I didn't remember I that. Well, actually, that, that was the only one I had played at the time, so I didn't have anything to compare it to. But, um, okay, hell yeah, this will be fun. Let's do, so Final Fantasy Eleven for next game of the quarter. Awesome. Okay. Cool. That's our Blizzard update. That's our Blizzard update. I am excited to see what Dreamhaven does as well. Yeah, me too. Very excited about that. I like when I saw that news, it was one of like, I'll be honest with you, it made me so happy because it's just like what I've been asking for for so fucking long. That's a good way of putting it. It really like made me happy. Even if whatever they make, I'm not interested in. I'm yep. very glad that Michael Moorheim has his own thing now because we've talked about this before. Kind of when Blizzard started going downhill was when they got bought and kind of like the reins were taken away from Michael Moorheim and yep. the rest of them. And uh, and I, I really have a lot of respect for what he, for what he did, and so this yeah. is kind of exciting. Yeah, it, it's it's very interesting. And the thing is, like for me, and, and this is a very like pessimistic view, but like the gaming industry for me today, and obviously we talk about classic games, so I know you guys partially agree with me. Is I don't really enjoy a lot of what is coming out today. So for a developer who is looking for a fresh start to come in and try to do something different than what's going on potentially, and I, I've historically liked their products. It's very exciting to me because I look at, we were talking about, you know, um, Bethesda, right? Like I'm not really, I don't really give two shits about what Bethesda is doing. But when I think about like Obsidian, uh, which obviously makes the, made, made Fallout New Vegas and they're working on a new Fallout type project. It's not called Fallout, it's called something else. And then I think of Grinding Gear Games, which makes Path of Exile. And I think of CD Projekt Red. There are specific developers that in my mind, when I see, like when I see things about them, it makes me happy because I think they're, they are generally good developers that are trying to make good products. Whereas a lot of developers, we always make fun of, right? Like Ubisoft and Activision. These are very greedy companies that generally are doing things where they can cut the bottom line as much as possible, take advantage of their employees to produce yeah. products that are subpar to try and gain as much revenue as possible. And it really frustrates me that they're as, as successful as they are. So I'm hoping that this type of competition will help to push out some of these companies. That would be nice. Yeah. I'll get off my soapbox now. By the way, um, I just I, as you were talking, I looked up the uh, the uh, expansion SD, the one that's specifically made for the Switch. Again, as I said, it yeah. probably, I'm sure you can use any, but uh, there's a 64 gig, a 128 gig, and a 256 gig. I just pasted it a link in our chat. Perfect, thank you. And uh, it's not very much at all. The 256 gig is fifty three dollars. Okay, that's not bad at all. Yeah, that's definitely worthwhile. Because, yeah, that, that's been my biggest complaint is, like, anytime I play something besides Cuphead, I have to uninstall and reinstall. Things, right, so. right. Okay. Cuphead's great. Cuphead's great. Let's talk about what games we've been playing. Do you guys want to do, save Civ 4 for last or do it first? Save it up to Jeff. Jeff, why don't you, uh, you're our guest of honor. Why don't you choose? I, I say I always want to, like, eat my vegetables first you know actually i like vegetables that's a bad analogy but i want to eat your combos first yeah (laughs) your combos first then move on to brussels sprouts or like spinach salad so let's let's get rid of the combos let's do the civ four civ four is the combos uh non-jalapeno 
Yeah. Not healthy. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about Civ Four a little bit. Uh, l- uh, let me just kick us off with a little basic information. I'm sure everybody is familiar with this, but if you're not, Civ Four, it's uh, Sid Meier's Civilization Four. Obviously, this the Civilization series is a famous one. Uh, it has it is going six games strong now. And it definitely, it's always had a very uh, strong following. It's all—it's always been a very super solid series. And honestly, it's also been very consistent in kind of like the next one in the series. They always really do a good job of improving it. And it's not a situation where it's like, oh yeah, three is good, but two's not good. And I don't like four, but five's okay. It's really like the, each new one that comes out. I mean, obviously there are people that agree and disagree on you know, and this one or that one's better, but they do a pretty solid job of actually improving each one in the series. Uh, it is a 4X game, a turn-based strategy game, uh, and it's, a, it's historically based. So you play as some civilization, such as Russia or Japan or the United States or Turkey or whatever. And um, you start off kind of at the dawn of, not the dawn of man, but the dawn of, I guess, civilization, where you just have very rudimentary farms and stuff like that, and you're building up your civilization. You're, it's the, the, the map of the world is randomly generated when you play. And so a lot of the early game consists of kind of scouting around, seeing what sort of resources are nearby, seeing if, you know, what kind of uh, geography is nearby, seeing if there are any other civs nearby, uh, while you're building up your, your own civilization, also keeping it safe from barbarians and like things like wild animals and stuff like that. And, and as you play throughout, throughout a game, your civilization advances, your technology advances, and you become more and more, uh, technologically advanced to where eventually if you play long enough, you get up to kind of modern day, Things such as tanks and nuclear weapons, whereas when you first start, your your fighting units are guys with clubs and then eventually bows and arrows and stuff like that. Um, and it's not all just military stuff. It's you know kind of all your technologies that 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 run a civilization. So um, this one, as I said, is for PC. Came out in two thousand five. And the four of us, or the th- sorry, four of us, the three of us played a multiplayer session, actually two multiplayer sessions of this to get a feel for it. Uh, and Jeff, why don't you, uh, why don't you take it from here? Tell us about your time specifically and kind of our, our time playing Civ. I had never played a game like this before. The closest thing was the original Populous, uh, which is not at all like this. And um, it was a little bit intimidating to go into because I didn't want to read about it or anything or cheat when we were going to be playing against each other. I did the tutorial for like 10 minutes just to get a real rough idea because I also didn't want to uh, embarrass myself, you know, and hold you guys up. But um, it's it was not super fun. And I think the reason for me was it seemed like it was complicated and I didn't know what I was working towards. And I felt that like there was a lot that wasn't clear. Like it was saying, like you build things on places and I'm like, okay, I'm getting resources, but I don't see where it's popping up or how often. And then most of the time it recommends what you should do next. Like your city can create new units and it's like, well, do you want somebody to explore? Do you want a warrior to fight? Do you want um, somebody to yeah, build roads? Do you want people that will build buildings? And, and 
I never understood why it didn't seem like it was putting you on a path like, oh, you're working towards religion. We're going to keep like offering religious stuff. It kind of seemed like it jumped all over like, oh, do a military thing. Oh, now do something that like mathematics. And it, it also varied a lot. It would say, oh, it's going to take you two turns to make a scout, but like 12 turns to make an archer. But then the next time it would be like, oh, it's going to take you 15 turns to make a scout and 19 turns to make an archer. And it, it I didn't understand why it was taking less or more time for each thing. I just felt like there was a lot that wasn't very clear about it. And uh, But that being said, I definitely think that this game is a test of skill because remind me who won both games that we've played? It was almost oh, me. It, it, no, it, it, but it actually was me. It was almost <laughs> you, but it was me. Yeah, and the first game... Uh, Rob just like immediately took over Jay's city <laughs> like so fast and Jay was so pissed <laughs> and by the way I was not like rushing him or anything I just kind of was uh, like wander I was exploring and wandered the city I was like wait a minute this is not very heavily guarded I might just maybe I can just waltz in one thing that we learned quickly about Civ 4 that we didn't realize I did not remember it's been a while since I played it and it is different from Civ 5 and Civ 6 or I think it's different from Civ Five. Definitely different from Civ Six. If your the if your city is not guarded, if you don't have somebody garrisoned, if you don't have a unit garrisoned on your city, then anybody can walk onto it and take it over in one turn. That is kind of huge and kind of crappy. Um, whereas, like in Civ Six, for instance. Even if you don't have somebody defending it, they kind of have like their own built-in defenders. But you can also station your own guys there too, specifically. But they, you still have to kind of attack it a few times, or you know maybe five or six or seven times, get, kind of break the walls down and break your way in to actually take over a city. Again, even if you haven't specifically placed a unit there to guard it. Whereas this one, it's like if you don't have anybody there, there is nobody there. You just walk a unit onto it, and it's yours now. The hilarious part about it was that Jay quit because he was like, well, I have no chance. Rob just destroyed my city. It's like first thing in the game. I'm done. But he like stayed on Discord talking with us. And then it was the AI that actually, as Jay's civilization, that came back and killed Rob. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was the last person that was still there. But like technically Jay won his civilization. Jay's civilization won. And yeah. Yeah, because I kind of like just wouldn't really be paying attention, and there would be a unit close to my like city, and then they would just walk onto it and take it over. So, uh, I'm sure many of the, our listeners are fans of Civ, and probably Civ 4 specifically, because it was a very well-liked game when it came out, and... Before anybody gets kind of like turned off by Jeff saying he didn't like it, I'm going to say that I kind of agree. In fact, I 100% agree. I really did not have a great time. In fact, no, all, we played two games. We played the one Jeff talked about, and then we played another one just a few nights ago, just to kind of get a little bit more experience with it. And after about an hour, we were all kind of like, is anybody going to be mad if we just stop now? <laughs> like, none of us were really having fun. And I played this game... Just about four years ago, and I actually did enjoy it then, but this time, I don't know if it's... Since then, as I've kind of talked about recently, I had a short-lived Civ 6 addic addiction. Jay has played Civ 5 uh, a bit, 
and really likes that one. And I guess it's kind of like seeing how much better they could do with those. Uh, you know, in the t- obviously in the years since this one was released, they've had time to figure out you know m- you know ways to improve it and you know, a lot of quality of life stuff and, and a lot of just balanced stuff. And so the games are even more improved now. Going back and playing this one after having played some of the more recent ones, it was it really felt rough. Even though, as I said, I did like it when I played this a while, you know, four or five years ago, and I hadn't, I don't think, played any other Civ games. Going back now, I, was, I really had a hard time finding a lot of joy in it. So when you played it before, were you playing single player, like campaign single player. mode? Yeah. See, I was thinking maybe that was part of the problem because well, like there, there's saying, not a campaign though. It, it's oh. it's it's the same exact thing as what we did. It's just not with other human players. Well, I don't know if this is just me, but I I don't play a ton of online games, and I felt like I wasn't talking with you guys or anything because I was trying to focus on the game, and I was trying to hurry my turns because I it would say like waiting for your turn. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I never wanted to be the last person. So it's like I didn't want to like read in depth about like if you build a library, then you're going to have 10% more growth and blah, blah, blah. It's maybe. Yeah, it, they do, it does not do a good job of communicating what anything gives you. You have to kind of like look it up in the encyclopedia in game or just read about it elsewhere. It doesn't when you're when it says like here are your options what to build. It, exactly. It doesn't say, oh, library boosts research by 10% or fucking, I don't know, an obelisk. I, I think it gives you a little bit of information like this gives you culture, but it really doesn't do a good job of really explaining what does what. And when you're, when you have your workers who are building things, it's like, Oh, do you want to build a farm or a Hamlet or this or that? And it really doesn't do a good job of those either saying, okay, if you put a farm down, it's going to give you, you know, more production or more food, for instance, and this is going to give you that, and that's going to give you this. Um, yeah. It, yeah. If it, you're setting guys up to build roads for trade routes, it's like, well, what is this increasing? <laughs> like, you know, like, and then what, by what percentage? Should I be building roads? Should I be building farms? Like, what's the advantage of one versus the other? No idea. Yeah, and for me... What did you think, Jay? <laughs> go ahead, Jay. Yeah, what did you think? Uh, I thought it was Doo Magoo. It's uh, the, the, I really ended up playing the fifth one a lot, and I, I like the sixth one as well. The fourth one just felt like a really. It's obviously an older version, right? So it was definitely noticeable. Yeah, yeah. There were there was very few redeeming qualities to it. And it, to Jeff's point earlier, it's just kind of boring when you're going through your turn. You just kind of go through the motions of it, and I don't really feel like what you're doing has any real impact to the overall game, which is part of my complaint with grand strategy games. But this one felt even more amplified. Yeah, that was, I think, kind of similar to my biggest complaint is turn to turn. I did not feel like I was doing anything interesting whatsoever. And we were even, we were playing on fast mode where research is sped up, production is sped up, so that you are, you more frequently have a choice to make. And I just really felt like I was just like not doing anything interesting. It's just like, okay, what's the next research? All right, I guess I'll do that one. Uh, I need another warrior. Let's build him. I... Even like both games we played, I I had organized religions like pretty quick off and even got to like second or third religions and you couldn't get a religion to happen either game. And I'm like, I don't know what I was doing that was different. Cheating is the answer, Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) Or I was so excited to get the Maharishna or whatever as like a special character or special hero or whatever. But then once I got him, I'm like, well, 
what does he really do? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The special people. What are they called, Robert? Great people. Great person. Great people. I, I always enjoyed like in Civ Five in particular. Uh, I was like, it was always a. It felt, felt like a large impact when you. Oh yeah, they, yeah. Person. In Civ Six, it's the same way. They're huge. Mm-hmm. So that's what kind of surprised me about that. And maybe they do do big things, but it's it just do wasn't. Do. But it yeah. just wasn't com- you know communicated. Um. I'm kind of glad that we all feel the same way because this is a very revered series and even this game in particular has a lot of huge fans. And I feel like a lot of people don't realize how rough it is going back and playing it now. And unless, obviously, unless you've done that recently. So, yeah, I think uh, it's a fair point. Kind of a thumbs down all around, unfortunately, for Civ 4. I, that's, I really thought we were going to like have a really good time playing this, but as I said... Both times we were just kind of like, all right, can we be done? Yep, I totally agree with that. Okay, so unfortunately, Civ 4 turned out to be a little bit of a dud. Is there anything else to say about Civ 4? Anything else you guys want to point out about it? The graphics were okay. I mean, it's, it's Civ 4, right? So the graphics were, were legible, which is nice, because usually when you go back into older games, especially like strategy games, it, at times it becomes really hard to read what's going on. And I feel like for the most part, vis- visually, I could tell what was going on, which was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and the music was still there. The music wasn't great. And what was interesting is the, the main screen music felt very, I think I said Disney-esque a few times. It really felt like an intro to like Lion King or something. It was very bizarre. It was, it was a, not a bad track, it was just felt a little bit out of place for me, but yeah. Oh, one good thing about it is this is the one that has uh, Leonard Nimoy. Oh yeah, that's true. Good call. Narrating stuff, or you're not narrating stuff, but giving the quote. Like whenever you re- do it, get a new research, whenever you research a new technology and stuff, it, you know it will have a famous quote, like a real life quote from a famous person related to that technology. And he, Leonard Nimoy is the one uh, reading those quotes. So that that's yeah. super yeah. cool. Yeah, thematically that was really know. cool. Anybody who doesn't know who Leonard Nimoy is, he's the uh, narrator from Seaman. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Um, thank you for, for pointing that out. Uh, okay, Civ 4 didn't hold up. What else? Jeff, Have you? is there anything else that you've been playing that you would like to talk about? Yeah, sure. If you want me to, to go first, I will. Go ahead. Tell us, tell us what you've been playing lately, classic gaming-wise. Okay, so I really did think seriously about what I wanted to talk about. Like, oh, what what game should I shine a light on? And uh, a game that I really love and also ties into the podcast very much is Breath of Fire 3. And my origin story with your podcast is I had one retro podcast I used to listen to. Because, I mean, podcasts, have, there's a million of them now, but there were not very many like seven, eight years ago. And... Uh, I was trying to find podcasts about Final Fantasy VII. They weren't that interesting. And then all of a sudden I was like, I want to listen to somebody talk about Breath of Fire 3. And I searched on Apple Podcasts, and I swear the only thing that came up was your podcast. <laughs> wow. It was episode, I'm episode so 18. <laughs> oh, no, episode 18. Okay. So it's an old yeah. one. Yeah. So I listened to it, and I loved it. And I think Blake was talking about Battletoads. I'm sorry. He Who Shall Not Be Named was talking about Battletoads on that episode. <laughs> And he did, Jay played he, Breath of Fire three. Jay played Breath. The, okay, I, for some reason, I, I that struck me as one that Blake would have, yeah, uh, been sure. the person talking about. But that was Jay who played Breath of Fire three. Yeah, and I just okay. really enjoyed the podcast a lot. And I so I immediately went back through the backlog, and I would listen to the current episodes as they came. 
but I would just listen to your podcast pretty much all day at work. So I'd listen to like two or three every day and I caught up pretty quickly. And uh, so, yeah, so I wanted to go play Breath of Fire 3 so it could get its full due on your podcast, but also just because it's, you know, it's part of my uh, my tie to your podcast. Hell yeah. Yeah, and so the last time I played Breath of Fire 3... I, so I is this Super for, Nintendo? No, this is uh, PlayStation. Yes, one. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I didn't look up the stats. I'm pretty sure it was 1997. PS1, you said? That yeah. sounds about right, Jeff. Okay. Yeah, 1997, 98, I think. Yeah. So the first time that I played this game, it was a blockbuster rental. <laughs> and I think it was the second or third RPG I ever played. I think it was the third. Wow. And I, I rented it one summer and I got stuck at this spot. I could not get past, which I'll, I'll mention when I get to later. So, anyways, the game starts out really cool it's just like this opening scene you're following these miners and uh then they find a baby dragon down in the mines and the baby dragon kills the miners and then you're in control of the baby dragon and you're trying to escape and you're just like charring people and it's really cool because when you win the battles it it's it's a typical jrpg you know turn-based you pick what you're gonna do and then everybody acts based upon their speed and you know attack magic or a special ability but um, at the beginning of the game, when you get in a battle, if you use a breath attack and you breathe fire on them, it chars their corpse and leaves it on the ground. Okay. And uh, it, it, that was part of what I appreciated about the game. It's <laughs> like, I'll, I'll try to like tie in a lot of these little tiny pieces, but I really feel like when you play this game, you can see the passion of the creators who made mm-hmm. it. Like, there, if your characters are just standing around, they have so many different idling um, animations. And there's so many times in the game where unique things happen, and they have unique sprites that happen just for one thing with one character. Even just the NPCs in the towns are interesting. Sometimes you see one, you think, oh, that must be somebody important, and it's not. It's just a random NPC. Because the art is just so beautiful and unique, and they did so many interesting things. But uh, so then the dragon gets out of the mine. He's in a cage on the back of a train. Oh, they capture him, put him in a cage. They're taking him somewhere. The cage falls and opens. And then you get found by these two people, Re and Tipo. And they're just like these bandits in a small town. So you, and you're not a dragon anymore. You're a little boy. Anyways, I'm going way too in depth. But uh, you spend all this time with Re and Tipo. And then there's events that happen where you get separated from them and you spend so much time trying to like track them down. And that's what propels the story. And I, I've been thinking a lot about RPGs or like what makes me love this game? Because my favorite RPGs are Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy seven, Final Fantasy tactics, and then this. So it's like those other three are like games that everybody loves and are great. But what makes me like breath of fire three so much. And I think it is really just that, they do everything right. And I think that's what I like about Chrono Trigger, too. Because some people will say, oh, Chrono Trigger's not groundbreaking. It just does stuff that other games did, but does it perfectly. And I'm like, that's fine for me. That's pretty groundbreaking. <laughs> yeah. It's like when you go back and play a game, it, just like with music, it's it's nice to know that, oh, like, you know, the Beach Boys created five-part harmony. Or, you know, this game was the first game to have this kind of battle system. It's like, well, if they didn't execute it well, you're not going to want to go back and experience it. Very true. It. And I just feel like everything is done so well on Breath of Fire 3. The graphics are beautiful. The music is just awesome. Every little bit of music, too. Even the battle music, I never get sick of. And um, let's see. I, I feel like I was saying it's just 
there's varied enemies and tactics. Like some enemies, you have to use magic before they're prone to physical, and your characters are very different from each other. Like there's one that's a brute who's really slow and has like strong magic, but very little of it. There's one character that's like, you know, basically just your typical mage, lots of magic, very weak, and some that are more balanced. But I, and you get three people in your party, but there's seven characters. So you can really choose how you want your party to be composed. And each character has a unique thing that they can do to interact with the map. Like your main character has a sword, so he can slash bushes or like cut vines. And like sometimes bushes will pop up, you know, you slash a bush and it's like, oh, you found five zenny, which is the money. Hell yeah. So it's like, I used to slash so many bushes, even towards the end of the game. I just felt like I saw a bush, I had to slash it, you know? Or there's another character that can like bump into a tree (laughs) and sometimes fruit will fall out. Sometimes a bee will chase you and do one damage to you. Or sometimes money will fall out. But I just really feel like each character has some unique special thing that makes them interesting. And um, I I also think that the graphics, like I said, because Final Fantasy VII is a great game, but some people can't get past the graphics. But because this is one of the later sprite games, it's like the last games on Super Nintendo are so beautiful. This is a PlayStation game that's basically using... um, Super Nintendo style pixel art, but on a isometric 3D uh, plane. And it's just so well executed that when you go back to it, you're going to like looking at it and just being there. Um, yeah, one sec. Yeah, and th- there are a lot of, uh, even though it's not groundbreaking, it does have some unique things. Like when you're saving your game instead of just saving it at a save crystal or like going to the menu when you're on the map you can camp and when you camp it's actually a tent with a fire kind of reminds me of the scene in chrono trigger and uh you can talk Hmm. to each person in your party and they'll either give you some kind of flavor text that's very specific to the thing that you're doing at that point oh that's cool or they might give you a hint like so that it's always kind of like pointing you in the right direction it's not holding your hand, and it's not telling you exactly what to do. But if you feel lost, you can you know, go to your campsite and talk to people, and they'll be like, oh, this town or that person, I wonder what they meant. And you're like, oh, right, right, that's what I was doing. That's where I need to go. And you can also you know, rest and save up, uh, you know, recover your HP. That's sure. another thing that's cool. If your character dies after battle, when they come back, they lose 10% of their hit points. And they don't get those back until you rest at an inn. So if you just camp or like are able to find a bed in a certain dungeon, because some of the really big dungeons will have resting spots, you still don't recover your max HP. And if you die a second time, it goes down 10% more. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's, it's never really that much of a hindrance, but it can be annoying if one character happens to die a few times. Or the, and another cool thing is if your character does get to zero HP, there's something called Guts where they have a chance to just fight through it and come back with one HP. And it doesn't happen that often, but some characters are more likely to do it than others. And it's just a cool thing. Sometimes you're in a really tense battle, your character gets you know, wiped, and then they pop back up, and you're like, oh, thank goodness, they can try to heal next turn. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and the battles have different formations, so you can choose if you want to be, like, have a character in a power position or have a defensive stance where everybody's defense gets boosted or there's one that you can unlock that is called chain where every character has the same speed as your point character 
So that's what I always use. I like pump up the agility on one of my characters and then put it in chain and all three characters get to act first. And you can sometimes get extra turns if you're that much faster than your opponent. And uh, it just, the I, I really don't want to talk about the story too much because I feel like with RPGs, it's, you know, I'm not trying to tell people the story. If you want to play it, then that's the thing you want to experience uniquely. But it is a really good story. I feel like there's always something propelling you. And it really nails side quests. They don't feel like a fetch quest or just like do this or that. There's always a reason, like you're helping somebody in the town and it develops those characters. You know, like this person is like a wimp and he wants to impress the the guild master's daughter, but there's this really buff guy that he's worried about she likes. But so you have to help him get stronger and train him at night and then, you know, you do things to help him so that he can earn her affection. And a lot of it is cheesy or things you might have seen before, but it's just always well done to where you always care and you want to do the next thing that you're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, there's also masters, so you can choose which... Uh, they're, like, special people throughout the world, and if you meet them, you have to meet a certain requirement, like win a certain amount of battles without running away, or... Uh, you know, have a certain amount of intelligence or just pay them a certain amount of money. And if you apprentice with them, if you gain three levels while you're apprentice with them, or four or five, depending on the person, you'll earn a new ability, a unique ability. And each one has two or three different abilities that you can learn at different stages. They also give you bonuses and uh, minuses to your stats. So if you're training under a wizard, he'll give you like plus two to intelligence every level and plus one to your spell points, but then you're going to get minus one on your hit points and minus three on defense. So you can either use that to try to balance your characters from their weaknesses, or you can just go all out and be like, I'm going to enhance their strengths and just forget about their weaknesses and try to balance your party. So I really feel like it has unique characters, um, but still gives you the option to change them the way that you want to. Is it a long and, game? Uh, it took me, I think, 34 hours to beat this time. Okay. Wow. And, but, oh, that's another thing. I, I feel like I'm already going on too long, but it has a fishing minigame that is so incredible. I that's love good, it. really? Incredible. Oh. Interesting. Every time I play it or I replay it, I'm like, I'm not going to do the fishing. I'm not going to do the <laughs> fishing. I just want to get through the game and experience the story and be with these characters. I, I don't want to waste time fishing. And every time it ropes me in because like you fish it, it, it hooks I, you yeah. <laughs> i feel so baited i just see the fish on the map like jumping in and out that's another thing that's cool it doesn't have random encounters i mean it does within dungeons but when you're on the map it just pops a question mark over your head if you have the option and then it'll bring you to a square map and there's one hidden item on it you can search for the item and it'll have random encounters within that but if you don't want to have random encounters, you just walk around the map and don't go on the question marks. So I feel like it handles that really well. But the fish will be like jumping in the river, or jumping in the ocean. And there's different fish <laughs> at each fishing location. And you can tell by their shadow if they're like an octopus type, a jellyfish type, a small fish, a medium fish, a large fish, or a really large fish. Or redfish, bluefish, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do they do? What do you get for them? So each fish does things, and depending on like how hard they are to catch and how rare they are, it'll be better things. So some might just like recover 10 hit points, and some might be cast a lightning spell like used in battle. Some might be recover all HP or recover... So, so they're like usable items, basically. Yes, but 
there's also something called the Manilo Trading Shop, which there's a turtle that's at like four or five of the fishing shops that are throughout the game. And if you use a coin lure, they will swim to it. So you can just put the coin lure in, like reel it up to zero feet. And like as soon as they bite it, you pull them in. And they'll say, welcome to Manilo Trading Shop. Would you like to buy an item? <laughs> and you say yes. And it brings up a menu. And some of the items are things that you can get much earlier than you'd be able to get at a, normally by trading fish in for it. So it'll be like, oh, you want this dagger. Give me two jellyfish and one piranha. But it's like, oh, you want life armor, the best armor in the entire game. Okay, then give me like a Barandi and three whales and three spearfish, which are all like really high level fish to catch. And uh, so you can get really elite items doing that. But the fish that you need to trade to that specific Manilo, it's not like they put them all together with that Manilo. It's like you kind of have to travel around the world and... It's I, honestly, if you play nowadays, that's one of those things where I'm like, go online, look up an FAQ, check which lures to use, check where to find the fish. Uh. But like, even without it, when I did it originally, I got everything and I didn't have to do it for like 50 hours. I, you know, because once you catch a fish at a location, it'll show you on the sign that you can catch them there. And, and their description will tell which kind of lure they like and it keeps track of what your record is for each fish and it gives you a point system and your ranking goes up as a fisherman and you can earn the best uh, lure and fishing rod in the game if you get all the way to the highest level it's so fun oh man so overall it sounds like you're still a fan of breath of fire 3 then i love it so much i really feel like anybody who likes jrpgs if you haven't played it you really should i I don't see how somebody could not like it. It's not going to be your favorite game like it's mine necessarily, but I, it's there are things I like that I think it's not for everybody. But this game, I'm like, if you like JRPGs, you will like this game. It is so cool. Do you have any criticisms? Uh, do I have any criticism? There's one section towards the end of the game that's pretty boring. Um, I, but... It's if you use an FAQ, there's kind of like a way to make it a little easier. And I don't think it's as bad as some people make it out to be. Um, and the end boss is really hard. I like that, too. It, it has a decent amount of difficulty. Like, I still got a game over screen a few times, as many times as I played it. And I'm like, oh, whoops, <laughs> like mess that up. Um, gosh, I will say that if you turn the text speed even to the highest speed, it's still a little bit slower than I would. Yeah, that always annoys me. Old school RPGs. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. You all, yeah. Anytime you have an option for text speed in an RPG, in, particularly in old games, which I, I'm sure that's the only place you'll find that, you always go for the fastest possible. Pokemon comes to mind. Yeah, I guess some people would say that some of the characters or some of the things are tropish. So that might be a criticism some people would have. I don't feel that way. I feel like it executes them well with maybe like one exception. One character, Nina, she's just like your typical princess. But I don't want to just be a princess. I want to explore the world. Basically Marl from Chrono Trigger, but not as interesting. Gotcha. Okay, so solid recommend on Breath of Fire 3 then. Oh, for sure. Awesome. Okay. Uh, how about I'll go next and Jay can follow me. Does that sound good so, with you? Yeah, for sure. All right. Mine's actually going to be pretty... Actually, well, I have two. Both of them are going to be pretty quick. One of them's a little smaller. Um, kind of the main 
one that I played for this episode, aside from Civ Four, was Splatterhouse. Splatterhouse is a horror-themed side-scrolling action game. It came out originally in 1989. Uh, I played the TurboGrafx-16 one. That was kind of the main thing it was available on. It was all there was also an arcade Splatterhouse, and I think a couple, maybe a couple other versions. But if I remember correctly, kind of the primary one was the TurboGrafx-16 one. I played this on the TurboGrafx-16 Mini, and you you've probably seen screenshots or cover art or something for Splatterhouse. The the main character that you play as. He wears a like a Friday the 13th hockey mask and he's this guy who's just got like huge muscles and he's wearing what looks like a like almost like prison clothes with the sleeves torn off and you're just fighting monsters in horror themed levels like like woods, haunted houses, stuff like that. And the game is pretty simple and straightforward. You're just going through killing bad guys. The the whole kind of like hook of this game, the whole gimmick of this game, well, not even a gimmick really, but the thing that the game was trying to do to kind of set itself apart was just kind of push the boundaries of, oh, this isn't, you're not just like a happy plumber bouncing on mushrooms. You're a, uh, you're like really in a horror themed kind of a horror, like a horrific sort of uh, world. Even your own guy looks pretty scary and you're fighting disgusting monsters gross monsters, violent monsters. Um, you do get, you can get weapons. There are like weapons that you can pick up in some of the levels. There's a two by four. There's like a butcher's kind of like a butcher's hatchet type thing. Uh, there's a shotgun on a couple levels and the monsters are not that creative, but they're all, they all fit the horror theme of it. Like some of them are these kind of red sort of generic humanoid monsters and uh, when you hit them, so you're just going through and just punching them or hitting them with whatever weapon you have and, uh, and try not to get hit yourself. And it's not like a, it's not like a brawler where there's, where you, there, you can kind of go to the background or foreground. It's, it's purely a 2D side scroller. And there are some monsters where they're these kind of like fat, pale, kind of pudgy guys hanging from like actually that are hanging from ropes and when you and they i think some of them like barf on you they or they try to and when you hit them when you kill them they kind of just like dissolve and melt onto the floor it actually is pretty disgusting looking sounds charming it is and when you have the 2 by 4 when you hit bad guys they kind of fly back and smash into the background wall which is really cool there are these monsters that are kind of these crazy looking guys with gigantic brains there are these big worm things with giant teeth uh, there's stuff like that. You you can take multiple hits, thankfully, but the game is not very forgiving overall. I mean, you can take multiple hits and you do have plenty of continues, so that's good. But it is one of those games where some levels you kind of have to not necessarily memorize the level. There, I guess there are some where you kind of have to memorize the level or just get very lucky or be have very good reflexes because it does get really hard to dodge some some of the stuff on some levels. Uh, on like on the end of one of them, you're in this room, and it just stuff in the room starts flying around. Like pictures start flying off the walls, furniture starts flying around, and you just have to dodge it and hit it with your two by four or punch it. I, I think I don't know if you have a two by four at this point. I think you just have to dodge it and punch it or whatever until uh, you've killed everything in the room. And it is very tough to survive without 
all the stuff killing you, especially if you don't have full health when you go into it. Rob, of, uh, yeah. Is it 2D side-scrolling like Castlevania, where you're just on the floor and there's up and down, or is it more like a Golden Axe or Double Dragon type game where there's depth on the floor? No, no, no. It's it's more like Castlevania, where it's okay. strictly 2D. Okay. Um. Uh. Think of, think Castlevania, but kind of all the sprites are much bigger, like three times that size. I I've seen it before. I just couldn't okay. remember that one aspect of it. Yeah, no, it, it is the 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 control of your character is purely left and right and jump. Okay. Uh. Some of the bosses are frustrating too. There's one boss where it's like this guy who's really big. Not not really big. I say like you know 1.5 times your size. So he's pretty big. He's got arms that don't have skin on them, and he's holding a chainsaw in each arm, and he has a bag over his head. And I wonder if he was kind of the uh, inspiration for the Resident Evil Four guy with the chainsaw and the bag over his head, but. He's got two chainsaws, no skin on his arms, bag over his head, and he just swings his chainsaws at you. And you have to get lucky, like, kind of lucky just to even hit him. Because, like, his chainsaws have really good range, and for you to get close enough to punch him, you are well within range of his chainsaws. So I had to try him several times, and uh, I really, really feel like you just have to get lucky to beat this boss. So some of them are frustrating like that. Uh, I... I I did beat the game in a couple, maybe like an, maybe like two hours, but I, but that was with save states. I really don't think, due to the nature of some of the levels and some of the bosses, that I would have gotten that far in two or three times that amount of time if I, you know, was playing it on the original hardware where you can't save in the middle of, you know, a level or where you can't save at all. And you just have to, you know, when you run out of continues, you got to start back from from the beginning. I don't see myself having done very well with that, but um, as it was with saves, I beat it in about two hours, and it's a pretty solid. It's pretty fun if you just you know, and it's you know playing it obviously from a modern perspective, it lacks a lot of things. Gameplay pretty simplistic. the The art and the kind of the visual themes are pretty cool. They do really do a good job of, of evoking uh, the horror, like a horror movie feel, with the game. But just the gameplay is is a little bit lacking. But it is, again, fun to kind of go back and see from a historical perspective and to see, you know, how how good of a job they did with the art and all that kind of stuff. Um, It's worth checking out, but it's nothing that's going to that's going to blow you away or that's like a super solid recommendation or anything like that. My other game real quick. Yeah. Question. Questions. You in the back. (laughs) So do you think that. I, I think you've addressed this before, but having the podcast gives you an excuse to go back and play games like this. Like, if you didn't have the podcast, do you think you would ever go back and play Splatterhouse? Yeah, I definitely think I would because I remembered seeing this game in magazines and stuff. I never got a chance to play. My my parents would not have let me play this, so I never played it when I was younger. And I definitely would have been like, oh, Splatterhouse, like, now's, now's my chance. You know, I don't have to, you know, it's it's in the TurboGrafx-16 Mini. I have it anyways. Let's give it a shot. Um, I, I might not have gone through the trouble of playing through the whole entire thing if I didn't have the podcast to do it with, but yeah, I would I would have played it. Alright. So my other game, real quick, not actually, well, kind of halfway a classic game, but not really. Is uh, Super Mario Brothers 35. 
This is the Switch, the, the game that they just came out with uh, for free for Switch Online subscribers for the Mario 35th anniversary. It's Tetris 99 Mario style. So you are playing the original NES Super Mario Brothers. And uh, there are 35, just like Tetris 99 was you uh, and 98 other people all playing Tetris kind of basically against each other. This is the same exact idea. It's you and 30, it's 35 people, you and 34 other people playing the original Super Mario Brothers against each other. And what against each other means is, huh? I said that math checks out. Yeah, right. You and 34 others. Yeah, that's right. So what you do is you're playing through the levels, like the original Mario levels, and whenever you kill a bad guy, it sends it to somebody else's game. And even when you and so if somebody else kills a bad guy, sometimes that'll send that one to your, you know, it'll either send to somebody else's game or you know if you're one of the people they're playing against, so there's a chance it'll get sent to your game. And even when you kill like the the guy the bad guys that are sent from other people's games, they are a little bit faded in color. That's how you can tell it's not actually part of the level, but it was sent over from somebody else's game. Even when you kill those, it sends them back to other people's games. So after you're playing for a few minutes, the levels are just flooded flooded with bad guys. Uh, the idea, the concept is you you want to be the last person alive, the last person still playing Mario. You're just playing through levels, and it's kind of just cycles through levels until um, it doesn't go through all the levels. You can, it's kind of weird. I'm not sure how it chooses which levels to do, but you kind of unlock levels in one way or another as you play. So sometimes you might be playing and just go through two or three levels and you just cycle through those. Sometimes it's more like six levels that you're cycling through. And your your levels are filling up more and more with more and more bad guys as other people kill them and then kill those and send them back to other people's uh, games and stuff like that. And there's a timer as well where if you run out of time, you also die. And the way you get the way you get more time is by killing more bad guys. And there are other ways to get more time also. Um, if you get like a one-up mushroom, what that does, there, since there's no lives, that gives you extra time. When you finish a level, that gives you extra time. When you kill bad guys, as I said, that also gives you extra time. So you really want to, you don't really want to go, even though you're on a time limit, the time limit, you know, you do get some time from finishing a level, but it's not tons. You want to go at kind of a moderate pace and just kill as many bad guys as you can because that does two things. One, it gives you more time to 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 survive and it also sends more bad guys to other people's games as you do that. So you want to spend as much time as you can killing bad guys while you are kind of constantly making steady progress throughout the level. And uh, it is really a lot of fun, especially when you start cycling back to original to, to, to earlier levels and people are maybe in the water level killing bad guys. So you're playing level one of Mario and all of a sudden there's a squid flying around or I've been in situations where, I was on maybe the water level or the first level or any level where Bowser shouldn't be. And all of a sudden I get to a part and there are three Bowsers jumping around shooting fire at me. <laughs> <laughs> it is as, so it is, it honestly is as hilarious as it sounds. It always cracks me the hell up when I see that. Uh, it is just really a ton of fun. Supposedly they are going to remove this from Switch Online at the end of March, which is a huge shame. Although I gotta say, I pro- I don't really see myself playing it for months and months, but I've been playing it a lot and it is really fun. 
And especially, as I said, when you, when you get all the Bowsers shooting shit at you. But I, also, I, I just have to note here, for the record, I'm the king of this fucking game. I came in first. <laughs> I came in first place three times in a row, just about an hour before we started recording this podcast. Uh, and that's along with like three times in a row in one sitting, and probably six or seven out of ten times that I've played today, I've come in first place. So I am so, the master of this damn game. Great job! I'm very proud of you. Thank you. So, if you were in first place, how many people did you beat? If there was 35 total, uh, 34. So what I'm understanding is people aren't very good at this game. <laughs> not compared to not compared not compared to me. Interesting. No, but what's really cool is you know a lot of people will lose in the first you know minute or so, and then it gets down to like usually when it gets down to two or three people, that's when it starts taking forever. Like more than yeah, half the yeah more than half the time usually. It's just when there's two or three people yet. And it kind of like almost becomes personal at that point. You're like, oh no, I'm not going to let this, this one motherfucker, he is not going to beat me. I've been playing too long. I'm not going to let this guy beat me. He is going down. It is, uh, oh my gosh, it is really a, a ton of fun. If, if you had brought this side of you out during Civ, maybe you would have won a game. <laughs> maybe so. I didn't have the same fire within me as I did Mario. Just got to want it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, if you get a chance to play that, I highly recommend it. It's free, right? It is free if you have Switch yeah, Online. Definitely yeah. Oh, I think I think Lisa has it, so we're good. Yeah, yeah. If you have it, you gotta play it. All right, Jay. Why don't you tell us about your game or games? Oh man, right. I stabbed my. I accidentally stabbed my underneath my fingernail with a guitar pick, and it's bleeding. Oh. When you cut yourself, do you suck on it? Like suck the blood? No, Why are we going here? <laughs> no, I do not. I, I thought everybody did that. My wife does that. that when I do that. She hates it. No, I definitely. I hate you for bringing it up. <laughs> yeah, I do too. <laughs> now my fingers hurt. All right, back on track. So uh, for this episode <laughs> of the podcast, um, I wanted to play a Dynasty Warriors-esque type game. Uh, I played one for the podcast previously. I don't remember which one I played, so I wanted to make sure it wasn't the same one without going back and checking my notes. Uh, so I ended up playing Samurai Warriors. Samurai Warriors, made by the same company, which I, th- I believe it's pronounced Koei. It's K-O-E-I. Oh, yeah, yeah. Excuse me. E-I-S. Yeah. Um, and this game came out in 2004 for PlayStation 2. And this is... Um, it, it's it's obviously Dynasty Warriors-esque, so it has, it's in a very similar universe, obviously different because it's samurais and not um, what Dynasty Warriors is based in. However, it, it's interesting with a little bit of a different approach. So for anybody who hasn't played Dynasty Warriors and hasn't seen any of the Warriors-type games, especially some of the ones that have come out for later, later systems such as Hyrule Warriors, this is a hack-and-slash game uh, that is really based around you picking somebody. In, in original Dynasty Warriors, it's my understanding that you play as somebody who is represented in some way, shape, or form in history, um, in which case you play through a sort of story or campaign mode, which is really you just being a super badass and just crushing a bunch of small people and then getting the opportunity to 1v1 you know, s- certain people in, in the actual game. So how these games actually start is, is generally you pick a character, you get a brief intro, which, by the way, you can't skip the intros, which is really annoying because <laughs> they're very long. Like long is in like 90 seconds or something, but still just brutal because when you play these games, you're not really looking for much story. You just kind of want to get into the whole idea of a hack and slash. 
So the game starts, and you have this this uh, little thing at the mini map, or you have a mini map at the bottom right, and it basically shows that you're in this map, and there's generally castles, and there's a ton of bad guys and some good guys. Generally, the maps are as follows: if the good guy, if if the good guy's leader dies, you lose; if the bad guy leader dies, you win. And generally, to get to the bad guy leader, you have to kill a bunch of you know minions, which they I call them minions because you absolutely just AOE crush them. Uh, and then you also have to kill some officers and some leaders, and then ultimately you get to have your epic battle with with the last guy. Levels vary a little bit because there's certain things that can happen where you have to interact with certain events, such as protecting you know battering rams or taking care of of certain uh, bad guys before certain doors will open. But as well, there's a lot of str- there not a lot of strategy. There is some strategy around it as well. Because in certain portions of the map, there are what these uh, things called um, reserve captains, I think is their title in this one, because they were called gate captains in uh, one of the old one, uh, in the in the original Dynasty Warriors games. But the reserve captains, what they do is they essentially endlessly stream minions into the map for the enemy or the good guys. Uh, excuse me, for you or, or the bad guys, depending on whose reserve captain it is. So one of the early strategies is to roam around, kill the reserve captain. And then in this one, which is kind of interesting, in the, in the original Dynasty Warriors, when you sealed a gate, that was it. That was that, that. was its interaction for the game. It's sealed, no more guys come in. In this one, at least it's my understanding, when you kill a reserve captain, your reserve captain takes over and then sort of streams in minions, which is pretty cool. It's, it's a nice upgrade, and it even motivates you even more to do that, or to do this. Um, I should probably specify as well, you know, this being called Samurai Warriors, yes, it's very samurai-esque, right? It's in the samurai universe, or, or historically uh, within, that, within that genre, so you play different characters, that some of them feel very samurai-esque and other ones not so much, but feel that that's based on my limited understanding of samurais. Um, so the actual gameplay is is what makes this game fun. You know, it's a hack and slash. So essentially, if you press the X button, you can jump. Um, if you press the square button, you do sort of a basic attack, which can then combo. So if you press square, your character may attack. If you're moving and you press square, they'll do sort of a, a running charge attack, which does like a cleave and does some, some damage. If you um, press square and then press square again, you'll do a combo, and you can do that up to four times. And usually the fourth time you hit the square button, the final combo you do is very effective and generally does some pretty extensive AoE. The triangle button does uh, sort of a power move. So if you just press triangle, there's a variety of different things. It could be like an AoE spell. It could be a power hit. It could be whatever, right? Just depending on the champion you're playing. If you hit square and then triangle, it does a different type of combo. It's a basic attack into a power move. And, so, and if you do that, again, if you hit square, square, then triangle, it does a finisher combo and so on and so what forth. What if you hit circle triangle? So, no, that does not That does not do that. Um, the circle button, what it does is it charges what's called your musou or musou. I, I don't actually know how it's pronounced, which is your special ability. And when your, your musou bar reaches full capacity, then you can activate your ultimate to do it, – it's very cool and it's very cinematic uh, in a way because essentially – when you press your Musu, the screen freezes for a second. So if you're at full health, it freezes for like half a second just to make it kind of epic. And then you do your ultimate, which means you basically tear ass to everybody around you. Hell and yeah. if, you, if you're lower on health, then if the screen freezes longer, if you, are, if you are even lower on health, meaning you're very close to dead and you're in the red, your Musu bar charges over time automatically, which is pretty cool. And when you use it, your character, the screen goes to a cinematic for a second, and your character says some crazy shit, and then your your character just goes off. Their weapon is generally on fire, and you just tee off on everybody around you. So if you're low in health, it's pretty cool. Um, what's nice as well is, is the, the, the one of the strategies you can use with your Musu is if you're getting hit, you can, that's, the, that's the only thing you can do while you're getting hit, is you can activate your Musu. You can't block. 
you can't use your basic attack, your power attacks, you just get beat up. And then ultimately, usually if you're getting hit by a mob, they'll hit you a bunch of times and then ultimately they'll kind of fling you away from, from the group. So having your Musu saved as a defensive cooldown is generally the strategy to do, especially when you're playing on harder difficulties because the, mo the mobs or the minions generally hit harder. Um, some of the other things you can do is you can press L1 to sort of strafe and you block. So you can actually block attacks and then do some counters. And there's some pretty cool stuff you can do in regards to a parry. I haven't figured out too much with the parry mechanic yet because I, I didn't really understand how it worked as a child. And I haven't really done too much with it so far. There's also a roll mechanic, which was added in this one, which the roll is slower than walking. It's kind of useless. You ultimately just end up getting hit. My thought was you could it's like, like a roll dodge. towards archers. It's like a dodge. I don't think so. I don't oh, think no. it really does anything like that. <laughs> kind of, maybe, but like the, the realistically, the best offense, or excuse me, the best defense in this game is offense. Like if you're hitting right. people, they can't hit you. So it's like you generally want to try to punish people. If you're not, and if I'm you're playing, if you're playing a Dynasty Warriors game and you just aren't attacking 100 percent of the time, you're not doing it right. Yeah, yeah th I mean that is true for the most part. There, there is some exception to that, especially when you play on the harder difficulties, because when you're fighting officers and, and whatever the the opponent you know versions of you are, you can't just go all in on them because they will block all of your attacks and then beat the living shit out of you. They will destroy you. So there is there is some level of, of thought you have to put into that. But when you're fighting like basic people or the minions, then yeah, sure, you can just kind of, kind of run through them. Uh, you can also press L1, or I think it's R1. I think it's R1 to shoot your bow, which is kind of weak. You rarely ever want to use your bow. And then uh, some of the other mechanics you can do, you can do jump, and then you can do a basic attack to do like a sweeping cleave. It's not that great. But if you jump and then press triangle, you do your character does like a, a quick like front flip, and then you power into the ground. And you do a bunch of damage and it knocks everybody up around you. The other thing is, if you get knocked up in the air, which happens a lot, especially when you're fighting other, other heroes, um, you can press L1 and your character will quickly do a recovery front, front flip. And then you can either do the basic attack cleave or you can do the powerhouse uh, dive bomb to get back into it. So when you're fighting a, 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 another hero, you, you have to be moving pretty quick. Like if, if you just kind of stand there, they will generally tear you up. And they also have Musu. So if they get their special, they will destroy you with it. In a lot of cases, if you get hit by a full Musu, you may just die. So you have to be pretty smart about how you do it. If you if they're in the middle of doing a Musu and you use yours or vice versa, you get into what's called a clash, where essentially a bar appears and you have to spam the square button as fast as you can to overpower them. If you fail to do it, then they knock you back and your character kind of like lifts their arms up like they're kind of stunned and they just get to tear ass into you. In the same nice. as if you do it to them. So it, it can be really tough if you if, if they musu defensively and you do it at the same time, you waste your ultimate, but even more is you may lose that clash and then ultimately take damage. So that's kind of the basic mechanics of the game. Now, to Robert's point, most of this game is you walking up to groups of enemies and just destroying them and just mowing them down. The objective of the game is to get as much kill and as many kills as you can and complete the level as quick as possible because your hero levels up, you get new items, you get new weapons, and your overall you get attributes for your character. Also, just kind of roaming around and just killing people is really fun. And 1v1ing some of the heroes is actually pretty entertaining. You can also ride horses, which in this one, it's not as powerful, um, but it's pretty nice. So obviously you get the mobility aspect of it, but also your basic attack is this gigantic arcing cleave. So you can basically press L1 to strafe on the horse, and you can basically like strafe left and right and just cleave and cleave and cleave and cleave and just destroy large groups of enemies very efficiently, which is fun. The Musu on the horse sucks, which I don't know why they did that, but it just absolutely sucks. And the power attack is is whatever as well. One of the things I want to say about the Musu in this one, generally, historically, when you use your Musu, it 
uh, you essentially just go through, like, a, your character does an automatic animation and you do a bunch of damage. In this one, you can actually pop your Musu and then not hold down the circle button, and you can actually just do basic attacks with your, your special going. The enemies can't move, right? So they're kind of stunned while you're going through your special. Time kind of stops, if you will. So there's some pretty interesting strategy around it. You can do some pretty fun things with it. Uh, but generally, I don't use my Musu unless I'm getting hit. I generally just use my basic attacks, my power attacks, and just work my way through it. You also get to choose bodyguards that come with you, and you can choose them to be like musketeers, spearmen, you know, swordsmen, whatever you want. And you can tell them to be aggressive, passive, defensive, whatever you want them to do. And they will generally like go into combat with you, and they're awesome. Like they're oh, hilarious cool. because like you'll go into combat and you'll be getting hit for a second, and they'll just come up and hit the guy to stun him. And it's great. And when they die, it's really sad. Like I only have them die a few times because a uh, one of the captains would use like a moose or something. And it's like they'll, they'll 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 just say things like "It's okay, I know you've got this" or something like that. And it's just like, damn, like it's pretty rough. Like when your bodyguards die, because in most levels you're in there for like at least forty five minutes to an hour. And it's really sad when they die because it's like you've been literally paired with them for for the entire level, <laughs> grouped with them. So they're actually usually when you get stuff like that. In a lot of games, I feel like characters like helping characters like that aren't really that helpful but it sounds like they're actually pretty good here yeah they're kind of cool they, they, they do some things and i did musketeers a lot so like they would just shoot the enemies and daze them for me so that i could then open up because if they're blocking and you swing into them they're just blocking so you're not doing damage but if they get shot in the back well then they're they lose their block and you can just tee off into them which is which is hmm. really nice okay some of the other cool mechanics in this is is realistically just how the AI interacts, right? So this is a pretty these are pretty large maps. Like if you wanted to walk on foot from one corner of the map to the other, it's probably like a five or ten minute walk. They're, they're pretty lengthy in terms of in terms of um, just kind of the overall size of them. So what's cool about it is there's obviously a war going on. You're not the only thing there. So you have a camp and you have officers. Usually both sides are initiating different strategies to try and win the map and you are encouraged to interact with them, especially in this one. Like it's like, Hey, <clears throat> we want to take over this outpost. Can you go over to this side and try to kill this gate captain so that they open the door or, or do you can interact with the map in different ways to help certain officers on your side to progress or to succeed. And if you don't, like, let's say you just disregard the entire map, they can end up just getting overwhelmed and you see throughout the map, the different morale that exists. So let's say like, you know, Robert's losing morale, you may want to help him, right? So you can go there and help him, like, and they're like, he's like, hey, thanks for helping me. And then morale will go up and they just start pushing with you and they can do a, a bunch of extra damage. Nice. Uh, which is cool. So there's different map interactions. There's also items that you get that are very short, short term um, items within the maps. There's times to damage, which is my favorite, obviously, for obvious reasons. There's times to defense, which obvious. There's a bunch of different health you can get. There's um, full health, full musu. There's Musu for five seconds, and there's Musu for 10 seconds. And what that means is you have your Musu for 10 full seconds. So you can just absolutely destroy people when you get uh, the Musu times 10 seconds. They didn't add the movement boots in this one, which was kind of weird to me, but I also really like that item, so I can understand why they nerfed it, because it was pretty damn nice, just to get um, quick mobility. So all that being said, um, the graphics are good. The gameplay is very fun. It's exactly what you're looking for. However, however, I don't know why... So when you pick the campaign, there's like six heroes you start with. You pick one of the campaigns. There's only five levels that I've seen per campaign, which is kind of a head scratcher because in Dynasty Warriors 3 and 4, which is the ones that I played the most, the campaigns were extremely lengthy. And it's like you, a lot of characters would overlap in terms of their campaign. So if you play Robert's character, you know, he has all these different levels and then maybe he has some similarities between Jeff's, Jeff's and they have a couple of levels that overlap. However, the campaigns are, if I had to guess, between 10, 10 and 20 levels, depending on how you, how you navigate through this. These are fixed five levels, 
and the levels themselves were very fun. However, they added this really shitty second part to every single level where <laughs> when you end up beating the last guy, you go inside the castle and you have to do this really shitty um, castle level or levels. It's essentially you go in and it's like, make your way to the end. And it's like you navigating through this castle, which is completely booby-trapped, and the booby-traps do a bunch of damage, and they're really frustrating, and the enemies are endlessly spawning and running after you. And then you get to the end, and it's like you're on the second floor. And some of these castles, like each floor will take you five or ten minutes, and there's freaking six floors. So you're six floors of just endlessly grinding oh, your way through this dungeon. Ouch. And it's so frustrating because in, in the actual levels, which are really enjoyable, they're open, right? They're very open, so you can do your own thing, and you can look around the level and do all these different interactions. These castles, it's it's generally one or two routes to the end. And they're really boring. They're obnoxiously repetitive and just really stupid. So you, you do this at the end of every level. So let's say you spend 45 minutes to an hour doing a level just to go inside this castle to do another 30-minute shitty dungeon crawl. And the worst part is you're timed. So if you fail to meet the time, which is kind of hard to do realistically as long as you're going, going towards the end, you can just lose on time. Also, I died a lot in the castles. I died zero times outside the castles. Because you're on a strict route, there's very few health items along the way, and you're not killing enemies generally because they endlessly spawn, so you're not getting health from that regard. And again, the traps, which there's like these ones where the floor falls through and you land on spikes, you the floor falls through and there's bombs, there is uh, roof spikes, there's dart guns, there's... Um, what else? There's one where you get you get stuck in a cage with other monsters. Like you walk into this platform, and a cage will appear around you, and you have to destroy the cage. But there's also things hitting you within the cage. So it's like these really shitty mechanics. And I was like, okay, like the first level, I'm like whatever. Like that was a really stupid design. Not that mad about it. Let's just get over with. The next level, I beat it, and it's like time to go inside or whatever the the caption was. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding. So I just like sprint my way to the end. It's six floors. You have to fight a guy at the top, which was really cool. It was it was kind of an epic fight and like whatever. But it was not worth me spending 30 minutes <laughs> crawling my way through this dungeon. And so I, I actually got to the last level of one of the campaigns, and I played through a couple of the other campaigns as well. Um, but the last level, I beat the level, and I was like, hell yeah, that was, that was really fun. And then the castle level started. I already killed the guy. I killed the last guy. And then it's like, by the way, you have to go in his castle, and he's waiting for you at the top. I'm like, dog, I just killed him. Like, he's dead on the ground. He's right there. His body's still kind of warm. And now I have to climb this castle to fight him again. And I ended up dying on the last or one of the last floors. And I'm just like, bro, like this is so stupid. So that part of it really frustrated me. The campaign length also did not do a whole lot for me. It makes me want to play Dynasty Warriors. I will tell you that much. <laughs> and I'm probably going to because this game was okay. Um, it's not it's not as fun as Dynasty Warriors. It seems like Dynasty Warriors understood the limit of what people wanted from their game. They understood that people generally want to get into the damn game very quickly. You don't want to watch the story because you are playing a hack and slash. And the level design was pretty consistent in the, with some variance to it. Um, the other thing that really frustrated, so something else that was kind of interesting about it is the different characters, like all the Dynasty Warriors characters, have different abilities. And when I say abilities, that's very loose. So um, the guy I played, he was slower, at, he, or he had like kind of like a medium range swing. He had good AOE. His ultimate had really good AOE. But then I played some of the other characters. There's characters with like really short range that swing very slowly but do more damage. And their ultimate is really good in like a sort of frontal cone type mechanic. So there's there's a lot of variance in how the characters uh, are balanced in that regard, which is really cool to me because that's one of the things I love about Dynasty Warriors is like you can play Zuzu, which is like this super overweight, looks like a um, a uh, wrestler. What are they called? Um, super wrestler. wrestler. 
Yeah, like a super wrestler. He looks like a super wrestler. He has this giant club, swings really slowly. His ultimate is literally he's, he puts his uh, weapon out and spins in circles and does AOE cleave. And he actually does a belly flop at the end, too, which is pretty funny. So um, the different characters have different attributes to them, right? Plus or minus, range, damage, speed, all that kind of stuff, which is pretty cool. Um, I do want to play more of the campaign, but oh my god, the castle levels were so... They're so bad that it makes me not want to play the actual game. <laughs> Yeah, which sounds, is really sad. Making them sound pretty bad. Yeah, it, it just it really took away from it. Um, other than that, graphics are great. Like you get what you need from it. There's not a whole lot of of there's no gore or violence um, in these types of games. There's a lot of like screaming and yelling because like one of my favorite things to do is is I will essentially run through and group up a bunch of people and then I'll get in a corner and I'll block and wait for them to get close and just pop my musu and just cleave. And you can see how many people you kill in a single combo at the bottom right. You also get your total kill, which my highest was like 900 in a single level. I killed 900 minions in a single level, which is <laughs> really fun. And when you're doing your musu and you have like times to attack and your character is just like literally swinging left and right and you're just seeing bodies and health bars disappear, it feels amazing. It just feels so good. So uh, uh, good, good things about it, but not great overall. Yeah, it was a, it was a really fun game. It was a really fun revisit. The castle levels were a definite downer, and I would not recommend if you're going to play a hack and slash, especially a warrior type game. Would not recommend Samurai Warriors. Just didn't do a whole lot for me in that regard. I think Dynasty Warriors three and four are better. I am going to visit some of the other um, in this series that I haven't played before that are still within the podcast range. So I'm excited to see how they hold up. There there definitely are some slight mechanical changes that I did notice in this game that I think are improvements. And I don't want to speak about them because they're really complex and, and just it, it would be kind of a lengthy discussion. So um, I do think that they made some slight adjustments that I appreciate from a balancing perspective while still keeping the integrity of the original formula together. So I do want to give them credit for that. I just want to say the castle level sucks. But everything else is fine, uh, realistically. And, and the fact okay. you can't skip the cutscenes. Okay. It makes me think a little bit of the Drakengard series because that is like Dynasty Warriors-esque, but there's story and you're progressing through levels. And the first one really sucks, but Drakengard 3 is actually a lot of fun. I haven't heard of these, actually. Oh, uh, Drakengard 3, you know, it's weird, but the one thing that turned me off from it is uh, the main character is like a total like waifu, slutty, you know. Oh, yeah, I'm watching right now. Exactly what Robert wants. Yeah, this is this is a uh, very nice way. Oh, this has blood in it too. Damn. It was so fun and so over the top. With this the is exactly what. This is just like it. Oh gosh, yeah. I I enjoyed Drakengard three quite a bit. I like the mobility in this the game. Boss, damn. Yeah, it has like good combos and good boss battles, and you can like replay levels. And I, it's hard for me to remember. I think you like unlock moves as you go, so you can like change up your play style based on what you know moves you've gained. That has good combos. And it was pretty funny. <laughs> are they jalapeno? Um, I, I did, I did want to say, these the Dynasty Warriors or Samurai Warriors, the combos get very repetitive, obviously, because as I said, it's either square, then triangle, square, square, triangle, square, 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 triangle, or square, 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 square. That's that's all of your combos. <laughs> um, in, the, in the Dynasty Warriors, like three and four, the more you level up and the higher level your weapon gets, your combos get longer, which is cool. In this one, I didn't feel that. So I don't know if I just get a high enough level to experience that. I did not experience that. So um, I will say the combos do get repetitive in that regard, and generally the gameplay does. However, if you're playing a hack and slash, 
duh, right? Hack and slashes, <laughs> you're, you're generally going to have some, some form of um, repetitiveness. I will say, look at this game. I like the mobility in this because some of the mobility in Dynasty Warriors is lacking um, at times. And I would love, I, I generally play very fast characters in Dynasty Warriors because I do appreciate mobility. So uh, I, do, I do really like this design. Can you say Musu just one more time for me? No. Musu, 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 Musu. I can't. Okay, John. Musu's not in the new, uh, not in the new, uh, what's that movie called? Mulan. <laughs> okay. I just want Jonathan to count how many times you said Musu. Oh, episode. I'll just say it all the rest of the time. Musu, Musu, Musu. I'm getting hungry now. Why? Is that kind of food too? No, I'm just Musu. It does sound like a sauce that would go on ramen or something. I don't know. At least it calls Midor. I'm going to go Midor. Huh? I have no fucking clue what he just said. He's going to ask Lisa something, what she calls something. Oh, uh, okay. Well, while we wait for Jay to come back, <laughs> we'll take a quick break. I'm going to check sure, make sure the recording is all good, and we will come back in 2.5 seconds with our top five lists. All right, top five. This is our top five, uh, top 10 of 25 years ago. I was going to say, I did 10. What the shit? <laughs> We forgot to do this during the summer. Usually, sometime during the summer, we do top 10 of 25 years ago. Pull up Wikipedia's list of all video games that came out that year, which for this year is, of course, 1995. And we do our we do a top 10 for that. We forgot to do it during the summer, and I just realized it, so we're doing it today. Um, Let's do... Why don't we just do the same order that we went in the first time for our games? So, we'll start with you, Jeff. Can you tell us what your number 10 top... Your number 10 favorite game of the year 1995 was. All right, Jay, how about you? Uh, my number 10 is... Uh, oh, Jeff Drop, TDC. My number 10 is Command we'll, & Conquer. We'll, we'll, give him a, we'll give him a second. That's fine. Uh, my number 10 is Command & Conquer. As I talked about, I, re- I bought the re-release of this just a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago now. Wasn't that great, but so I, I will say, kind of as a caveat, as we go into this, there was not an extensive amount of vehicles. Uh, vehicles, Jesus, work. Uh, there were not an extensive amount of games that I really appreciated from this from this year. Um, and so, just want to caveat that my number nine and number ten aren't like games that I'm super excited about. But of the games that were available, this is what I wanted to pull out. So my number ten is Command and Conquer. Um, one of the obviously early on RTSs. Played this game a lot as a child. Definitely a very strong um, impact on my my gaming experience from an RTS standpoint. However, it does not hold up today at all. I did not see this game on the list. This came out in 1995. Yeah, let me double check. Wow. Okay. No, I believe you. I just uh, I just missed it. So I went to Wikipedia and went through the 1995 from that perspective. So I hope that that was what. Yeah, that was what I did. Um, okay. I do believe I do remember it being 95 as well because it was the year my brother was born. Yeah, I believe you. I just missed it. Um, yeah. Which game are you guys talking about? Command and Conquer. Oh yeah, that was on the list. Yeah. I think. Um, hmm. I need to think about this now. Jeff, you go ahead and what's your number ten? Okay, so I want to do one honorable mention. That I'm almost positive it won't be on anybody's list. Hagane came out this year. <laughs> oh really? Okay, the the famous Super Nintendo game. Which looks great on SNES Drunk's video, and I would love to play it, but I don't emulate, so I'm sure I'll never get around to it. But I just wanted to mention it. You don't emulate? You think you're better than me? Uh, no, I just don't. I don't go on my computer. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, ever. You do it on your uh, phone, too, bro. Oh, well, that's beyond me. 
But uh, my real number 10, which is not a good game and does not stand the test of time, is Destruction Derby for the original PlayStation. Okay, yeah. It was the first PlayStation game I ever played, and it blew my fucking mind. (laughs) (laughs) I could not believe a game could be that good and that realistic. And it was like there was no depth to it. You're just crashing into cars trying to survive in a mud pit. And I played it at, you know, a friend's house who they just like their dad bought every new thing that came out. And (laughs) I was like, I have to get a PlayStation. I have to. <laughs> is this the game where you had like a little icon of your car and it would be green, yellow, red to tell you like this the the health of your vehicle? I don't remember that specifically. Okay. I think I played this game. That's why I'm asking. It it sounds... it, I bet it probably had something like that. You just had like a gray, boxy looking car, and you crashed into other cars yeah. until they got damaged or tried to avoid them. And yeah, it was pretty. There's a game, I just saw this because I was just looking back at, I was just glancing back at the list. There's a Japanese game called, from 1995, called Cutie Honey FX. Of course you would find that game. <laughs> Rob, spoilers, that's it, my number one. It fo- It's based on a manga. <laughs> I pull up the manga Wikipedia page. It says it follows an android girl named Honey Kisaragi, who transforms into the busty, red, or pink-haired heroine Cutie Honey to fight against assorted villains. One of of the trademarks of the character is that the transformation involves the temporary loss of all her clothing (laughs) in the brief interim. We know you're buying this. Changing from one form to the other. Oh my gosh, this is classic. Yeah, classic game podcast. Classic Rob. Right. That too. All oh, right. is it me next? Uh, I haven't... It's oh, going to yeah, be me. Okay, sorry. Then we're going to go back to Jeff, though, and then it'll be Jeff, me, you. Oh, that's right, 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 right. So my number 10 is... I think I'm going to have to go with Command & Conquer also, Jay. Um, I did have Battle Beast on here, and that'll be my honorable mention Battle Beast was a game that really did not get much attention, but it was pretty cool. It was a uh, fighting game, and it had very, it was like, it looked like a real cartoon. Like, it looked like you were playing a cartoon, which is impressive for a game 1995. This was on PC. Um, it's a fighting game where you were these, like, little dogs and cats and stuff. Uh, turtles and things like that, just little animals. But you could also turn into like a mech version of your, like a robot version of your animal by, I don't remember how, but you could do that during the middle of the fight. And uh, it was, it was really fun game. Well, I don't know. I have a feeling it probably wasn't that great, but but one of my friends and I used to really like it a lot. So Battle Beast is a solid honorable mention for me, but I think my real number 10 now that you've alerted me to uh, Command and Conquer's presence in the 1995 list i think that's gonna have to be my number 10 doesn't hold up very huh would you say i red alerted you to it i think so yeah i think i would have to say that uh as you and i kind of discussed on that one episode not too long ago it really doesn't hold up uh all that great but for its time it they they really did a good job with it and it does have aspects of it that that are that are pretty cool today still absolutely Okay, so now number nine will be Jeff. Number nine. Number nine, Castlevania Dracula X. I haven't played it very much, but 
it's a Castlevania game. It's fun. I I don't have much to say about it. I spent very little time with the game, but it was good. <laughs> okay. My number nine is Killer Instinct. Everybody knows Killer Instinct, oh, yeah. the fighting game. It was a pretty hardcore, kind of wild fighting game with, you know, 100 move combos and shit like that. Really cool characters to choose from. Um, that was kind of one of the things that stood out about to me. Those are really the two things, but they did a good job of having a wide variety of characters in that game. Uh, I feel like it doesn't really get a lot of credit for. But uh, yeah, Killer Instinct. All right. J number nine. Uh, number nine, Donkey Kong Country 2, Diddy Kong's Quest. So not a game that I extensively played a whole lot and not a huge fan of this game, but I did enjoy it for what it was. You know, I enjoy the Donkey Kong games every so often. And, you know, this is very similar in terms of the formula. And, you know, it's okay. It's an okay game. As I kind of talked about, my nine and ten I'm not thrilled about. And I probably won't go back and play them for the podcast again anytime future. But, you know, they're games and they're there. I have heard that... Uh, that this game is a lot better even than the original Donkey Kong Country, even to the extent that people like me who don't like Donkey Kong Country will probably like this game. I can't confirm that because I haven't played it, but I have heard very good things about it. Gotcha. Okay. Um, are we back to me? Uh, no, back to Jeff. Jeff now. Number eight. Okay. My number eight is Looney Tunes B-Ball. <laughs> wow. That was... Yeah, it was a blockbuster rental on Super Nintendo, and it was a great rental. Not a game you need to own, but I did buy it a couple years ago when I wanted to play it again because it was like five bucks on eBay. Uh-huh. And uh, I enjoyed it for like 20 minutes. It, it has some really funny stuff, but the gameplay mechanics leave something to be desired. It's more of a novelty. Like, it's you'd be better off watching a YouTube video of it than. Oh, okay, yeah. That, I think that's probably but, uh, true for Battle Beast also. Yeah. But it, was, it was fun at the time, so Okay. That. My number eight is Mario's Pit Cross. This was mm. a uh, Game Boy game. And uh, if it's if you like Pit Cross, that's what it is. And it's it's a pretty good version of that. Jay. Jay. Number eight, You Don't Know Jack. Um, So early You Don't Know Jacks were pretty revolutionary, at least for me, because this was a game that I could play with my family pretty effectively. So even people, my older brother and I played a lot of the normal, typical games, you know, fighting games, RTSs, and and a wide variety of genres. However, there weren't a lot of games that I could play with my family, in particular my sister, just because we didn't have the same interest in types of games. Um, You Don't Know Jack was kind of an exception to that. It was a trivia-type game with some pretty... I would say crude humor for the 90s, especially at that time. It wasn't like ridiculously inappropriate, but it was kind of pushing that edge where if you're a teenager, you kind of snicker a little bit. So these games are pretty fun. They're um, very effective in terms of being somewhat informative, but also being challenging on some of the topics. And uh, the first, you don't know Jack, the first uh, couple of them, I've played quite a bit when I was younger. We put a lot of hours into it. So definitely worth a shout out i know they continue to make them now and even jackbox jackbox games i think are extremely popular i know a lot of people have been playing them through covid so a very strong series even today it is i feel the exact same way about you don't know jack it's a so it's if you're not familiar with it it's like a game show basically and you and everybody who's playing is a contestant and it's the original you don't know jacks were just basically just like trivia game shows more or less right 
That's great. And it's like whoever buzzes in first with the right answer, you know, gets the points and all that. It was like you said, for Pete, like even for it's a good game to play with people who don't typically play video games. Yeah. Was this on PlayStation? PC is what PC. I played it on. Yeah, PC. Oh, okay. I think it came to PlayStation eventually and I played it years later. It may, uh, maybe it may have. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah, very much so. All right, Jeff, what's your number seven? Uh, this is going to be higher on Jay's list, so I don't want to talk about it too more, but number seven is Secret of Evermore. And I played it for the first time a few years ago based on uh, recommendations from the pod, and uh, it's really highs and lows. It's so funny. It's so interesting. The battle system has some major flaws. There's mm-hmm. way too many mazes and some real bullshit stuff but it is it's a lot of fun if you can get past that <laughs> yeah i played it uh, for i put a couple maybe one or two hours into it a while back and um kind of had the same experience a lot of highs and lows i did not like I mean, granted i didn't really give it a lot of time but from what i played i didn't overall enjoy it, it, it the problems outweighed the good aspects of it for me although i there definitely were plenty of good aspects yeah, that's the fair assessment of it. Okay, my number seven is ESPN Extreme Games. This was, I think, a launch title for the PlayStation. If not, then it was an early PlayStation title. And for that reason, I had this and used to play it a lot of my PlayStation. And I don't know if it was a great game, but I really had a lot of fun with it. It was uh, There were four different kind of sports within the game there was rollerblade it was all racing of one type or another there was rollerblading street luge mountain biking and i forgot what the other one was but there was another one too and uh it was just it was just really well done you know extreme sport racing game that uh that i used to play quite a bit Hmm. all right jay number seven uh, number seven is Time Crisis, uh, primarily an oh, arcade-style cool. game. Um, Time Crisis, not not an amazing game, right? But in the 90s, playing, spending a lot of time at the arcade, there was the Simpson RPG game, there was Gauntlet Legend, there was Time Crisis. Wait, Those Simpson the the... RPG? Do you mean Simpson Arcade? Sure, sure, arcade, sure, whatever you want. Wait, wait, okay, but you right. said, wait, I'm not trying to just... No, no, you're right, you're, you're right. Okay, yeah, the, RP, okay. or the arcade version of the game. Gotcha. Um those are some of the games I spent the most most quarters on for sure. And Time Crisis is just a classic, right? It's it just a shooting game that was very simplistic, had the basic mechanics of the arcade shooter style games. And I have definitely put a ton of time, even today, like even when I go to Dave and Buster's, if I have to go to, um, I'll put some time into Time Crisis or whatever the, whatever the new new updated versions of it are called. But they're always just fun games. And it's, it's a very simplistic style. It's something you can, again, we're kind of talking about. It's something you can play with people who enjoy playing a lot of video games. But you could also play with your parents or your siblings who don't spend a lot of time in arcades or video games because it's a very simple concept, right? You point and shoot, and then when you want to reload, you shoot off screen. And the, the overall games, obviously, the whole intention is for you to waste quarters, and, and they're kind of abusive in that regard. However, they're fun. They're very simple formula that they generally are very consistent on. So, Would you describe it as a point-and-shoot adventure game? <laughs> <laughs> point-and-shoot adventure game. It's pretty good. Okay, my number. Right. Oh wait, no, it's Jeff's turn. Number are we to six now? Yeah. Okay. Did you do seven? Six. Yeah, I did. <laughs> okay. 
My number six is Breath of Fire 2. This is kind of cheating because I actually played this on Game Boy Advance. I haven't played the Super Nintendo version of it, but uh, it's a solid JRPG. Uh, I liked it. It doesn't stand up to Breath of Fire 3 for me. Okay. But if you're, you know, a Super Nintendo JRPG fan, it's definitely a title worth checking out. I'm not going to say, like, I don't even know if it's a top 10, but it's good. Well, it's fun. All right. My number six is You Don't Know Jack. <laughs> for the reasons we talked about earlier. Really, really cool game. Jay? Number six for me is Kirby's Block Ball. Um, this is a game that was for the original Game Boy. The original Game Boy? Yeah, the original Game Boy. Um, this was one of the games. So when we got the Game Boy, it was something that my brother had to more or less bribe my parents to get. And there were a couple games that we spent a lot of time on. And this was one of the ones that we spent an obscene amount of time. It's it's the general, what is that that style called? Oh, uh, I'm looking at it now, like a breakout game. Like a breakout game, yeah. So it, it's Kirby, but there's some, I don't even remember all the mechanics of it. I, I just remember that it's a breakout game. Um, it was very challenging. There were a lot of levels to it. But I will tell you that we put a ton of mileage into <laughs> really? our Game Boy, specifically on this game. Yeah, it was very frustrating. And, you know, as you can imagine, it's on the original Game Boy, I believe. So the lighting was very challenging. So obviously, if you're playing in the car, which is generally where we spent most of our time playing the Game Boy, you can only play as long as you had decent lighting. So um, I just remember enjoying this game quite a bit. It's not something that I'll probably revisit anytime soon, but I definitely have some very fond memories of this game. What was the other breakout game on Game Boy Alleyway. That was the one that I used to play on ah. Game Boy. Okay. Um, okay my number five. Yeah. NBA Jam Tournament Edition for Sega Genesis. I owned this game. I played the hell out of this game. My brother, my stepbrother and I played this a lot. I mean, NBA Jam, everybody knows, is a fun, great game. And Tournament Edition was just, you know, teeny bit better and yeah, it's an arcade style. Well, I mean, originally it was an arcade game. It's an arcade style basketball game with you know, players catching on fire and he's on fire. The roof. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's just an incredibly fun two player game. So yeah, that's my five. I didn't. I missed. I somehow missed this one also. I didn't realize this was a uh, on the two, 1995 list. I probably. I actually missed this one too. To be honest with you, did you? Yeah. Yeah. Even though I talked about this one not too long ago, I played it recently and really didn't have nearly as much fun as I used to. This would have been on my list as well, just for how awesome it used to be. Probably would have I been played. above, like right above Killer, right above, jeez, I don't know. As far as how much I like it now, probably right above Killer Instinct. I just remembered, I went to like a bar slash arcade a few years ago, and they had NBA Jam, and I was so excited, and I played, and you have to put in a quarter after every quarter. Oh, so I re- oh, that's right. I remember what? that now. Yeah. And the quarters are pretty short, so <laughs> I played a half of a game, and then I was like, I think I got the gist of this. I'm done. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not spending a dollar just to finish it out. I'm... That's fine. Got to do some dunks as Bill Clinton. I'm good to go. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Who are we on now? Have we all done our number six? We've all done our number. I just started five. You just started five. Okay. My number five is Mortal Kombat three. I mean, it's a Mortal Kombat game. What else do you want? It's not as good as two. 
but it still has lots of cool stuff. Um, it's got cool characters. So I think it's the first one. No, the second one did have some of the robots. So I take that back. But anyway, they just kind of, I, like I said, Mortal Kombat two is better, but this was still a really solid entry. And, uh, I used to play a shitload of it. I think that introduced animalities where they turned it into an animal. Oh yeah. Maybe. Okay. Is it really interesting? Okay. Uh, Jay. Uh, my number five is Warcraft two tides of darkness. I've only played this game a little bit, and you know, obviously for me, the the primary motivation for this being on my list and as being as high as it is is this obviously led into Warcraft three. However, Warcraft two: Tides of Darkness was definitely stronger than the first one uh, by a huge margin. They did a lot of things really well in comparison to the first one that made it seem like a more authentic RTS. Um, and obviously, you can see sort of the skeleton that ultimately became the later installments of this. So, all right, number four, Jeff. Uh, Twisted Metal for PlayStation. Yeah, buddy. Awesome. As much as Destruction Derby was groundbreaking, Twisted Metal, even just being on the same system, like playing it a couple months later, I felt even took things to a new level. That's that's exactly how I was about to say it. Like, it it didn't stand up as well. Like, Twisted Metal 2 is much better, and I think you can still play now and have fun. Twisted Metal, not as much. But there are certain games that the first time you played them... It just seemed like nothing you thought was possible. Like Super Mario Brothers was one. Twisted Metal was one. Grand Theft Auto 3. It's like games just come along and you're like, I didn't think video games could do this. Yeah. And it's good just way to a, put it. Yeah, it's a, it's a car game and you, you drive around, you have guns, you have missiles, and it just the characters were so funny. The storylines were if you beat it, it just... It had so much to it. It's like I was saying with Breath of Fire 3, what makes a game great is just attention to detail. And uh, this game was so fun. It was. It was It was really cool. There were not many games or any that I knew, know of at the time where you it's just you and cars going around shooting each other and it's not also a race. Hmm. It's just Battle Royale with cars. And guns. Mario Kart had that option. Oh, that's true. Okay, yeah, yeah, you're, you're right on the. But obviously, not anywhere near this level. Not even close. Right, and the, all the car designs were really cool too. Like, there's a Lamborghinis. There's monster trucks. There's like ice the, cream truck. Ice cream truck, of course. There's like the junkyard car, which used to be my favorite. Um, motorcycle. Humvees, motor, yeah, motorcycle. Um, really cool variety. There's like the. Like the lowrider pink Cadillac. Oh, yeah. The monster truck was by far the best character, unfortunately. I love the police officer. Number. Oh, about, to back, back to me. Number four to me. My number four was also Twisted Metal. Jay? Uh, my number three is Vector Man number four. for Sega Genesis. Excuse me, my number four. My number four is, is Vector Man for Sega Genesis. Okay. Side scrolling uh, shooter, really fun, um, very challenging, very tough. I played this for the podcast a couple years back. Again, really like this game. I, at some point, I will more than likely give this another shot because I do want to try to progress more into it. But I always really enjoy playing this game. So, all right, Jeff, number three, uh, Warcraft two for uh, PC. I loved Warcraft two. I'm not an RTS guy, but Warcraft one, like brought it into my life with training wheels and 
Warcraft 2, it does everything that I don't like about Civ. Like, you know exactly what you're working towards. If you build this building, it's going to open up this unit. If you have a guy going to get gold, you see the gold piling up. You see him walking back and forth from the mine. It's like, it just spells everything out. So the progression is so good throughout the game. It's like adding this, adding this, adding this. Each map, there's some new element of the game until you get to the end. And if they had just like sprung it all on you at first, you wouldn't be able to handle it. And I mean, I never got on the level of you guys with like StarCraft and macroing and all that crap. But for me, Warcraft 2 was just enough complexity that I could handle it. And uh, I loved it. I got really into it. Yeah. I'm the only one of us that hasn't played Warcraft 2. Oh, and the little touches. Just like the stuff that people, like, zug zug. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The voice oh. acting. <laughs> I mean, and the story. I mean, the story is, it, it's not as good as Warcraft 3, but it's still, it holds a lot, I think. Yeah, it was dope. Mm-hmm. Okay. My number three is Street Fighter Alpha. Really, an awesome entry in the Street Fighter series that doesn't get talked about almost at all. Um, I've played it quite a bit, and every time I've decided I want to talk about it on the podcast, I end up like playing something else instead. Like I'll be like, "Oh, I want to talk about this on the podcast," and I play an hour or so of it just to refresh my memory, and then something, and then I end up playing something else. And then for some reason, this has happened two or three times, and for some reason, I never ended up bringing it up. Um. But it, this came after Street Fighter 2 and before Street Fighter 3. And it's just, it's its its entirely own separate entry in the Street Fighter series. It has its own characters and all that. And it is uh, really, really, really good. Not Street Fighter 2 good, but very close. And it just, it's just awesome overall. So, uh. If you haven't played Street Fighter Alpha, I definitely recommend it. It is a it is an awesome series or an awesome game. Jay, no three is Twisted Metal. All the reasons you guys talked about before, um, really like uh, Twisted Metal two. Obviously, substantially better than the first one, but this one I played a lot of the multiplayer, a lot of the campaigns. I tried as hard as I could to beat as many of the campaigns as I could. Uh, really enjoyed playing this game. Awesome. I'm kind of wondering now if we're all going to have the same top two. <laughs> I, I uh, think there's a good I chance. For of, sure not. I think top one is a solid <laughs> bet. I don't know about, uh, yeah. I'm not sure about two though. Okay. Well, maybe not that. I wouldn't my be number sur- two, Go ahead. I know my number two is probably going to be both of your number ones. It's earthbound. This came out in 1995. Yeah. I didn't know that. How did I, I miss fucking, that? Am I, am I crazy? I swear it did. All right. Hold on Let just a minute. Wait. Yeah, let's uh, check out the old Google. Wikipedia Games, 1995. I'm showing 94. Initial release date, 94, but that doesn't mean U.S. Uh, busted. Mother 2 in 1995. June 5th. And it was June 5th, 1995. He's right. Uh, Japan was 94. Yeah, I missed that. It didn't come up on my Oh, list. so Japan, it was 1994. Well, I, last time okay. I checked, I live in the good old U.S. of A. <laughs> okay. It shows 1995 on my screen. <laughs> Well, if you're okay, so if we count Earthbound, that would definitely be my number one. I'll just go ahead and say we, it. But I didn't have. Are you sure about that? Wait, if we count it, it came out in 1995. Well, it originally came well, out in 1994. If we didn't miss it, if we didn't miss it, well, because we've talked about this before. I don't remember what we ultimately decided. I thought we did NA releases for this. So I think Jeff's in the right here. I I, mean, I don't speak Japanese, so I definitely couldn't play it when it came out in 1994. 
I think we decided we based it on the NA release. So Jeff, Jeff didn't know that. I thought so. we just decided we do whatever oh, we do. Like okay, then either way, he's in the right. So. Yeah, no, I'm not saying... Okay. I'm okay. just saying if... Yeah, that's fine. I don't obviously don't care that it's unnecessary. I'm just saying uh, I don't know what I would have done, but regardless... If yeah, I if you, this, if you would have if you would have known if I would have known, yeah. then I would have put this number. This would have been my number one. I just I'm just throwing. Wow, it out. really? Oh yes, I, I figured. I thought it would be both your number ones, but so yeah, you guys have both talked about it extensively. I don't need to go on and on, but I had never played it until I bought the Super Nintendo Classic. I waited in line day one to buy a Super Nintendo Classic just for this game. Because wow. I always wanted to play it, but I was not going to shell out $200 for a loose cartridge. And, oh man, it is so fun. It is so good. It is so unique. It has so many great touches. And it's just unlike any other RPG experience. And there's some things in it that are so good, I can't believe nobody stole it from Like the idea of when you're powerful enough to kill something with one hit. Oh, yeah approach it on the map you don't have to fight the battle it's like so smart yeah it would be really nice if other games used that especially at that time yeah yeah the rolling hp and just some of the battle mechanics the atmosphere of the levels the uniqueness of the enemies this game just does things that are truly special and i i love it i do too i 100 percent agree uh, my number, that's two. Yeah, two. Mm-hmm. My number two is NBA Live 96. Fucking killer basketball game. One of my top, I'd t- I have to say one of my, t- this is up. this is my, one of my top three favorite sports games ever up there with NHL 94 and Ken Griffey baseball. Um, it is just, uh, definitely the best basketball game ever in my opinion. Uh, we're at number two. Yep. No surprises here. Secret of Evermore. Uh, Secret of Evermore. Love it very much. You know, I, I will say the last time I played it, there was I, I noticed more more issues with it than I have historically. So I don't think it's the best game ever made. But I do enjoy it for what it is. You know, the really simplistic kind of almost slapsticky humor is very entertaining at times, and some of the some of the jokes that are made do kind of get me at times. But um, the dialogue is pretty limited. Story is very limited, and then the actual gameplay. Uh, does get kind of frustrating at times, and there's definitely some issues with it. However, it's a very fun game, and generally, when I when I play through it, um, I enjoy it immensely. So, all right, uh, number one, my, Jeff. My number one is my number one favorite game of all time. Uh huh. Yep. I yeah, there it is. Absolutely love this game. Everything about it is pitch perfect. I replay it and replay it and replay it, and it's just the best RPG ever. It's the best JRPG ever, and I mean, that's not an objective truth, <laughs> but it's it's undeniable. I love it. The characters, it's funny, it's fun. It's so many times people want, you know, open world games, or they complain about, like, Final Fantasy X is just hallways, but I feel like a game needs to have a certain amount of structure, and this strikes the perfect balance of giving you an open world to play around in and travel to different times, but at the same time, there's always this momentum and a story that's keeping you headed in the right direction, and the side quests at the end are 
some of the best parts of the game. Each character is so well-developed. Really get to dig into them. I could go on about this game forever. Like, just seeing the sprites of it makes me happy. Hearing the songs from it makes me happy. There, It's just... And it's not even just nostalgia. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, it's a... Uh... That's a great game. It's my number one as well. I don't have half the love for this that you guys do, but even still, I can't say it's not. What? Out of curiosity, why don't you? Like, is there something specific about it that? No, no, there's nothing specific about it. I just, all of the things that people love about Chrono Trigger, I just don't love as much. That's the best way I can put it. I do. Oh, Rob, you know, I love you so much. You're such an awesome guy. But I do want to pick a little nit with you. I know people have already kind of argued with you about this, but you did criticize it, saying it doesn't have enough variety in the battles. And I think that could possibly be any more far off because I think especially now that you've... You're probably right about that. Yeah, if I said that, then I think you would be right to disagree. I think now that you're the biggest RPG fan in the world, right. you've played a lot more RPGs. <laughs> uh-huh. If you went back to it, you would be surprised how often you have to learn an enemy's weakness and find the right approach and use different types of tactics. But I think you're right. Tactics? What? <laughs> <laughs> Don't get them excited. Chrono Trigger tactics. Triggered. Chrono Trigger uh, tactics. <laughs> but I've said enough. So I think you're yes. If I said that, then you then I think that was probably wrong. Uh, wow! Did you just admit to being wrong? Hello, am I, am I, I think here? So, I'm, like I said, now that I'm the world's biggest RPG fan, I, I have a better perspective on RPGs. Wow. So for me, as I said, Earthbound would have been my number one if I had realized that was that, or you know, I, I probably counted that on my that was probably on my 1994 list, I bet. But if it was a game that I had considered eligible for 1995, for me, Earthbound beats Chrono Trigger personally. Hands down, no doubt about it. But um, without Earthbound being there, yeah, Chrono Trigger, I can't say. Even though, as I said, you guys like it so much more than I do, I can't, I can't, there's no arguing that it's not a, an, an absolutely great game. I do like it a lot. I just don't have this undying love for it that most people do. I'm glad I've played like Secret of Monkey Island and uh, Day of the Tentacle because I feel like that gives me a little bit of an understanding of what appeals to you. And I feel like Earthbound is the triangulation between Secret of Monkey Island and Crunch. It kind of is. That's, that's, I hadn't really thought about it that way, but I think you're exactly right. Yeah. Jay, what do you want to say about Chrono Trigger? I assume that's your number one. Yeah, it's my number one. I mean, there's not really much to add beyond what you guys have already said. Um, <laughs> It's just a phenomenal game. If you haven't played it by now, shame on you. Very similar to Earthbound. It's, it's one of those games that holds up extremely well, no matter how long, how much time goes on. But um, it's so inaccessible, and that's what sucks. Why? True. Why? I forgot about that, yeah. I, I just think emulations, that's all I think of, so. Yeah. I mean, it did get ported to Game Boy Advance, but and then I think part of what poisoned Rob against it is that PlayStation port of it is so yeah. terrible. That, that definitely was part of it, yeah. I think I tried to replay it just to get to see like the animations that they added. And I quit. I was like, I'll just go on YouTube and them. I have to play this on super Nintendo. One of the things I've actually come to realize recently that really turns me off on RPGs is whether it's grindy or not, whether there are boring parts or not, whether combat is good or not. 
if combat takes a long time to get in and out of, oh yeah, then that is huge for me. And I didn't realize that until like a couple days ago, honestly. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why I don't care for Mario RPG on Super Nintendo that much. I mean, it's a good game, but I get bored with it when I'm playing it because the battles do take a long time to get through. Uh, and I forgot, I don't even know where I was going with this, but, oh, oh no, but we were talking about the PlayStation version. Yes, I think with that in mind and going back and thinking about the PlayStation version, the low times between battles, between just pausing the fucking game or going into your inventory are Uh. insane. And yes, I think that was a huge thing for me as you know particularly when i played the playstation version because that was the first version that i played not knowing the problems with it and as you said i do i think you're right i I think that kind of poisoned my whole perspective of it i'm not like a throw your controller or like rage quit type of person but like i tried so hard to make myself play through that playstation version and i wanted to smash my playstation it is yeah it's it's bad oh like, I remember there were times, honestly, you like, half the reason you play an RPG is to get new weapons for your guys, but, oh, hell yeah, I got this badass sword, Let's see how good it does. There were times, 100% serious, where I would get a new weapon or a new piece of gear of some sort and not equip it. I'm like, no, 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 I'll do that later, because it takes too long to open my inventory and just change the weapon. I think that's a great point because that's another thing I like about Breath of Fire 3 and something that can kill me going back and playing old RPGs is the user interface is so important to me. Like if you cannot stack items or sort them, if you have to buy it one at a time, if the menus are cumbersome or they're just like unpleasant to look at or nonsensical, it's everything else about the game can be good, but you spend so much time just dealing with functionality that if it doesn't function properly, it's going to be constantly giving you these tiny little negative and like feelings in your brain that just stack. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what it, I think that's what it does. So yeah, as um, <laughs> as soon as I saw, I, I googled like video games 1995, and before I even got the Wikipedia list, I saw Chrono Trigger pop up. I was like, oh, well, there's our number one. Yep. <laughs> It's like generally when we have these types of lists, like the top three, there's some movement on it. But this list is like if I knew Earthbound was there, obvious. If Chrono, if I know Chrono Trigger is there, obvious. Well, it's funny because I didn't include uh, Lufia too because it came out in Japan in '95, but it didn't come out in the U.S. until '96. So I otherwise Lufia two would have been like my maybe fourth or fifth game, Mm -hmm. but. That's a, that's a very good RPG. I think maybe, I could be wrong, and it doesn't matter anyways, but I think maybe what we had decided previously, Jay, is just, we just go by whatever, we just blindly follow whatever's on the list. Yeah, I'm fine either way. On Wikipedia. But yeah, it doesn't matter either way. Um, So yeah, I, tell me what you guys think real quick before we go into emails, but I was a little bit disappointed overall in the For quality sure. of games this year. Very surprisingly, 1995... I don't know, sounds like a year that would have been chock full of of classics. Yeah, a lot of mine were very obvious because of that. Yeah, and for me, 
there were, you know, there's Chrono Trigger, of course, and for me, you know, up to up to Twisted Metal, my, you know, my, my my top four: Twisted Metal, Street Fighter Alpha, NBA Live '96, and Chrono Trigger. Those were all obvious, and then beyond that, it was like, yeah, these games were good, but I would have expect, I, I kind of expected there to be better ones than you don't know Jack and fucking ESPN Extreme Games, you know. So I, before I went through that Wikipedia list, I went through that last, I like searched each system that existed during that year. Like I was going through Game Boy games, all the Super So I went Damn. through Super Nintendo first. And when I was going through Super Nintendo, I'm like, oh, Hagane, like, cool. Oh, Looney Tunes Basketball. That's obviously not going to make my list, but that was a fun one. And I had all these Super Nintendo games. I'm like, wow, like, this is going to be a really good year. And then when I started going through other systems, it was like, ugh. <laughs> Uh, there was like either other than the ones i mentioned there weren't even many other games that i played and like right okay (laughs) so we've decided for our next top five list next episode we're doing our favorite mario series and by that we mean any individual game or groups of games that are a Mario title that's not just a regular Mario platformer, such as Mario RPG, any any game in that series, Mario Paint, that is the only game in that series, but we're counting that, Mario Kart, anything like that. Um, so our favorite Mario series that are not the main Mario games. What if it's a game that just has Mario in it, like Smash? That doesn't count. It has to, we'll say it has to have Mario in the in the title. Sound yeah, good? So. Makes sense? He's, he's, he left. Um, okay, let's do emails. We have three or four, looks like. Okay. First one comes from oh okay i looked through this one da- this one comes from dan dan with an extremely informative email about chess games uh i, I uh, scanned through this earlier <laughs> and i gotta say thank you dan this is actually ex- very very interesting um so i'm gonna read it here so last time i talked about playing chess uh the fidelity chess master 2100 basically a chess master game and uh, talking about you know some of the shortcomings and for what I from what I expected and all this kind of stuff, and Dan has an email about chess games in general from that period, which again is very interesting. And here it is. He says, "Hi, Classic Gaming Podcast. I'm by no means an expert on the history of chess games, but I have a few bits of info you might find interesting to flesh out your review of Chess Master. The Fidelity in Fidelity Chess Master 2100." was a company that made physical chess computers, actual chess boards with computers built in that you would play against. Uh, My family got the Fidelity Chess Challenger in the early uh, 1980s. So that's where I mentioned I was confused about why it was called that, and that's exactly why it's called that. And here is, uh, I'll I'll send you guys over like a, picture an example of what he's talking about it's it's really kind of uh kind of cool looking there's uh that 
It's like a chessboard. It's like an electronic chessboard where it has a little readout oh, screen. It. Looks kind of like it, almost like a calculator screen. And uh, it looks like it kind of senses where you're placing the pieces and it's kind of showing you what's going on, I guess. He says, when you mentioned the voice in Chess Master, it immediately reminded me of this computer since it had a speaker with a really poor synthesized voice. Every time you turned it on, a robot voice would announce, I am Fidelity's chess challenger, your computer opponent. Select your level. <laughs> I found a 10 second YouTube clip of the audio and it's exactly like I remember it. Let me, I'm going to play this over. I'm going to play this uh, right now on the podcast. So everybody can hear it. You guys won't be able to hear it, but I'll link it to you so you can check it out. Let's see what this sounds like. I am Fidelity. Challenger, your computer opponent. Select your level. <laughs> it sounds like. It sounds like. It sounds like a fake robot in a cartoon. Yeah, it does. I enjoyed that. That is good. Now that I've done that, I want to see real quick if I can find the um, Chess Master, like a quick sound clip of the beginning of the Chess Master game. Because it's not quite like that. This is not a robot voice. This is like a extremely terrible quality version of an actual person's voice. Let's see. I found one video. I can just check it out real quick. I don't see. I don't hear any sound this one. Uh, I'm doing Fidelity Chess Master 2100 voice. Let's see if this has anything. The fuck? Nope. Okay. Language. Yeah, I can't find it. So anyway, but that was <laughs> that's classic right there. Uh, let's go back and find the email. Here we go. He says King and Queen both sounded like Keen, <laughs> and as a five year old, I was convinced that instead of that instead of illegal move it was saying <laughs> billy goat move <laughs> i can see that ah. uh, your review made me think that maybe poorly synthesized vo- voices are just a f- fidelity trademark in the late 80s we got the fidelity excel 68000 no synthesized voice which still works and my kids and i sometimes take it out to play against I'm no good at chess, so it still easily beats me. That's oh, that's so. These are his own pictures that he sent me. I, I want to. I have to show these specific pictures to you guys. Uh, this is really cool. I'm gonna have to start using that with my kids when we're like playing Uno and they play the wrong card. Like, nah, Billy Goat move. Billy Goat. <laughs> move. <laughs> um, let's see. Hold on, I'm saving these pictures so I can send them to you in a second. He says, you said in your review that there was Chess Master and Battle Chess and that Chess Master was for serious chess players. But my memory is that there were always stronger chess engines out there. So Chess Master was in a weird spot. It was a mass market game aimed at serious chess players, but maybe not serious enough that they knew where to get the games they should actually be playing. In the late 80s and 90s, there was Zarkov, which appears to have been programmed entirely by one guy named John Stanback. Then in the mid-90s, I think Fritz 3 became the big program, and it looks like they're up to Fritz 17 now, and other chess engines have popped up along the way since, like Fruit and Ribka. 
So maybe putting Fidelity in the title of Chessmaster 2100 was meant to signal that this was a serious product. But a mass market game, sorry, but a mass market game that had to throw in fancy features like a 3D isometric view of the board was maybe never going to compete with high-level chess players programming their own engines out of passion. Anyway, thanks for the podcast and keep up the good work, Dan. That was nice. That was awesome. Thank you so much, Dan. That was genuinely really cool. All right, next we got we got a write in another write in from Burger Champ. Oh, nice, <laughs> Jay. Could you take this one from Burger Champ? Yeah, good to hear from you, Burger. Um, Burger Champ says, "Hey guys, Burger Champ here with a question that could decide the fate of the world as we know it. Have you ever owned or wanted to own a non-standard controller, i.e., fights uh, flight stick?" trackball, arcade stick, or fishing reel. This would include uh, th- this would include required pack-in controllers like for Steel Battalion or Time Crisis. If money were no, were no object, what controllers would you want to own and what games would you want to own to play them? Oh, so I have a good one for this. Sure, go for it. I, when I was a kid, I, I wasn't poor, but my family did not have much money and I didn't have very much expendable income, but I was always very good about saving my money. So it was like, save a dollar, save a dollar, save a dollar. Like eventually I'm going to buy a video game. I would never buy like food or bubble gum or anything. And uh, so it was always a video game. What's the next video game I'm going to buy? And like one time where I made a huge exception was I bought Street Fighter 2 because I loved it in the arcade so much. And on Super Nintendo, I hated the controller and I saved up to buy like the full giant rectangle with the joystick. Oh, wow. Six- Dang. And it was not cheap. I think it was almost as much as a game, like 40 bucks or something. And oh, man, it was worth it. It was not just a novelty. And it, it elevated my love of Street Fighter 2 even so much more. That's the only <laughs> That's fighting cool. game that I have really gotten into with Street Fighter 2. That's awesome. Do you have any other? Do you have any that you wish you could, that you could play or that you had that you haven't ever d- used? For me, when he when he mentions uh, Steel Battalion, <laughs> that controller is insane, and I really would like to own that someday. Uh, I did have one other one too. Um, my stepbrother was like the opposite his dad had like a lot of money and so he would just buy him every game and everything and he would like take everything for granted like oh game genie sure use it once never want it again Mm -hmm. and he bought a uh steering wheel type thing it was like it had four suction cups on the bottom and kind of a diamond shaped base and came up and it was not like a full steering wheel but like a u-shape you know where each controller kind of came up and you and i used to use that for playing rc pro-am on Nintendo and it was it was pretty good too definitely not worth the money but <laughs> if it was somebody else's money I had some fun with that one. I um like looking around my room and thinking about like my office and thinking about this question I almost never use just non-regular controllers but I ha- somehow have a fair number of them uh so I have a fight stick that I use for, well, that I did use for Street Fighter 4 when I used to play that a good bit. And, you know, when I played a, a little bit of Street Fighter 5, I, of course, used it for that as well. I do have a flight stick as well, 
which I use for stuff like uh, X-Wing and TIE Fighter and, and those games. I have a uh, kind of just halfway for the podcast and halfway just for the novelty of it. I have a Super Scope 6. Oh, yeah. I also have the key, the Dreamcast keyboard, if that counts. And I think that's it as far as what I own. As I said, for stuff that I would like to own that I don't have, the um, the Steel Battalion controller, I really want to get a hold of that someday and play it. It's, I know the novelty of it is probably going to wear off in about 20 minutes, but I still want to just, just have it sometime because it's gigantic and it's insane and it's elaborate and it's crazy and possibly pointless, but still cool. Just you bringing up the keyboard reminds me of when you talked about Typing of the Dead. It's funny how there's certain games... I think that's the only thing I've used it for. Oh, it was worth it just because I enjoyed that so much. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that was funny. It was worth it. It was good. It was fun. Jay, what about you? Um... Don't have a lot here, to be honest with you. I'm not. I'm very frugal with things, so like I generally will play games with the least amount of cost involved. Right. Realistically, I wouldn't mind having a fight stick for playing Smash Brothers or some of the other. I don't even know if Smash Brothers would be applicable for it, but I don't think. Um, I don't think people use fight yeah. sticks. For, oh, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think they're use controllers. Yeah. Yeah, it's not really a thing that I'm super into, so I don't really have a solid answer for this. One more I just realized is I also have the uh, Donkey Konga drums <laughs> for GameCube. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Didn't somebody beat a game during Games Done Quick using those? I am I think they certain. beat, like, Zelda or something. Um, I, yeah, I would be surprised if they didn't, almost. Uh, We got one more. This is from Simon. Simon, good to hear from you. We have You haven't Absolutely. written in in a while. Simon is my favorite emailer. I can't even tell you how happy I am that she emailed in. I almost sent her a Twitter request saying, please email in. I'm going to be on <laughs> Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. Well, this one's for you, Jeff, in that case. Uh, Jeff, you, you, how about you read this one, then? Ooh. Uh, I, I am illiterate, but I'll do my best. Do you, uh, do you, would no you, way you're illiterate. You're a mailman. <laughs> <laughs> can't be illiterate. Do you, do you want to read? Are you okay reading it, or would you rather me read it? Oh, yeah. Sure. I'll do my best. Okay. It's, it's making me attach it as a file because it's a little big. Fair That's enough. No. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Okay. Oh, it's like wraparound scroll. That's weird. Is it? Here, I'll, why don't I just read it then? Because I just have it in my email. So yeah, it's easy. It's not... I'm going to have to scroll right to left to read it. Okay, yeah. I, I'll just I'll do it. Uh, Simon says... Greetings, classic. That was not a joke, by the way. Greetings, classic <laughs> gaming podcast. Long time no email. Rob's recent rant about King's Quest V being his most hated game remind me that the one and only Jeffrey, the one and only Jeffrey. Wow. Oh, wow. Had suggested I write into the podcast about another rage inducing Sierra game, Gabriel Knight 3. I have heard stories about this. So after hearing that, so after hearing that Jeffrey himself would be appearing, I figured I had no more excuses. I, played... I didn't know that she was going to compliment me when I said the nice things about <laughs> <laughs> I played the first Gabriel Knight in 2015, but because Sierra games require some buildup of mental and emotional strength to be able to face, I only got to the third one this year. That is a very good way of describing them, Simon. 
After getting past the horrible, eye-gouging, early 3D models, the first obstacle of this game is figuring out the utterly bizarre control scheme, particularly the camera controls. Basically, it feels like you're actually playing a first-person game where you are the camera operator, and Gabriel is really an NPC on the screen, on the screen whom you occasionally tell to do things. The way you control this hypothetical camera operator's movement is by holding down the left mouse button and moving the mouse to walk. Oh, that sounds terrible. So pushing the mouse up causes the camera to move forward. Pulling it back causes the camera to go back and so on. If you hold both mouse buttons down, moving the mouse moves the camera vertically up and down. If you let go of both mouse buttons, you then have a cursor you can move around the screen to interact with things. The problem is that a large portion of the gameplay is just you manipulating the camera to the right position so you can actually see the objects you need to interact with. Holy shit, this sounds terrible. Yeah. If you listen to many adventure game podcasts, you will most likely have heard of the infamous cat hair mustache puzzle. Simon, I have... I have heard of the cat hair of the fabled cat hair mustache puzzle, and I'm excited to hear your take on it. (laughs) She says some people have accused this puzzle of single handedly murdering the adventure game genre at the end of the 90s. I have heard it discussed so many times that when I started playing the game, I thought, (laughs) well, at least I'm already prepared for the cat hair mustache puzzle. (laughs) I was not. I was not prepared for the cat hair mustache puzzle. Spoilers for masochists who plan to subject themselves to this nauseating experience. The entire premise for this puzzle is that you need to rent a bike to ride around a rural area of France where you are investigating the kidnapping of a baby. Basically, apparently, Gabriel just rocked up in a foreign country (laughs) intending to conduct an investigation with no prearranged method of transport. So you go to a bike rental shop and you'd think that a pretty typical adventure game puzzle would be that all the bikes are already rented out, right? No. All of the bikes except one are rented out. The one that's left is a small pink moped, but Gabriel refuses to take that one because he could not possibly be seen riding a small pink moped in the countryside on on the other side of the planet where nobody even knows who he is. Only the cool man or not, come on. Only the cool Harley is acceptable for Gabriel. Forget the urgency of the kidnapped child. Gabriel's manliness is on the line. And this begins the following convoluted series of events. It turns out that the rest of the bikes have been booked by members of a tour group. By some freak coincidence, Gabriel's childhood friend Mosley is in this tour group. So you wait in the hotel lobby for the receptionist to turn his back. Then you buzz Mosley's room and call him down to the, to the reception. While he's gone, you sneak into his room and steal his coat. But if you watch him... When he comes down to, to reception, you notice he takes one of the free mints from a jar on the counter. So the next logical step of the process is to plant some of these mints in the alcoves between his room and reception because that will cause him to bend over and pick them up when he walks past, even though he knows there's an entire bowl of them downstairs. While he's bending over to pick them up, you sneak up behind him and steal his passport from his back pocket. 
Holy shit, this is already amazing. So now you've committed multiple crimes and possibly caused your friend to end up detained for not having a passport in a foreign country. You can impersonate him to get the Harley, right? Oh no, can't be as simple as that. Mosley's passport photo doesn't look generic white guy enough for Gabriel to pass as him. At this point, you have to remember that earlier in the in the game, there was a random lost and found box in a museum. If you manage to manipulate the cam- sorry, if you manage to manipulate the camera well enough to look inside it, Gabriel would comment that the hat in there looked something like Mosley would wear. Uh, he wouldn't pick it up. He'd just comment on it. Not now. Oh, sorry. Now, however, you can go back and pick it up to use as part of your disguise. Note: It's not that Mosley is wearing a hat like this in his passport photo. It's just that. The hat, quote, looks like something Mosley would wear. Of course. Because obviously the bike rental guy is going to know what sort of taste and hats some random American tourist has. And that's the only way he's going to believe you're the guy in the passport. Holy shit, this keeps getting worse. (laughs) Or better. (laughs) Or better. By now, you're probably wondering where the cat hair mustache comes in. So hold on tight. First, you need a gardening spray bottle from a priest so you can use it to harass a cat which then runs away into a barn through a hole in the door now i had heard that some part of this puzzle involved maple syrup which you can get from the hotel kitchen so i thought i was being really smart trying to smear the maple syrup on the hole in the door so that it would catch some of the cat's fur when it runs through nope instead you have to find a random piece of double-sided tape that's inconspicuously stuck to the back of your wardrobe door. You have to attach this to the hole in the door so that it catches the cat's fur. You retrieve the tape and pick the cat hair off. Then you use the maple syrup to stick the cat's fur to your face as a fake mustache. (laughs) Oh, man. Yes. Now, is it really just me or would it not be more logical to use the maple syrup to catch the cat fur and the tape to stick it to your face, not the other way around? I say more logical in the context of the most insane in the most inane series of events I've ever encountered in a video game. What tops this all off? Damn, we're not done yet. (laughs) Is that we are making the cat hair mustache in order to disguise ourselves as dot 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 a man who does who does not have a mustache <laughs> yes that's right the final step of the process is to, st- <laughs> is to steal a pen from the hotel reception and draw a mustache on Mosley's passport what why <laughs> Uh, holy shit. I have no words. I don't even know what else to say. I don't either, Simon. I don't even know what else to say about this puzzle. In one sense, I like when the tasks you do in a game actually reflect the player character's personality uh, because that shows that games are a unique and valid storytelling medium. And this series of tasks does certainly do a good job of reflecting Gabriel's personality in that it shows he's a complete maniac 
who is willing to to commit fraud, larceny, breaking and entering, animal cruelty, and screws over his childhood friend just for the sake of protecting his own fragile masculinity. Yeah, let's not forget this is just all this is all just so that he doesn't have to use a pink moped. But the thing about games is that they are actually meant to be fun. This increasingly bizarre sequence of actions only served to make me baffled and frustrated and crushed whatever hope I had. Uh, that this might be a decent game. I pushed through, but by the end of the game, I was basically just using a walkthrough. It sounds like me because I simply did not care uh, enough to take it seriously anymore. Since Rob's rants about Sierra games and games he, th- he thinks are Sierra games <laughs> are endless, are endless source of, of entertainment. Uh, I'm tempted to recommend Gabriel Knight 3 to him, but it feels too mean-spirited to wish this nonsense upon any human being. Simon, it might happen someday. I better leave this there before it turns into a rant that rivals one of Rob's own. I'm telling myself I need to write more frequent, shorter emails rather than sending you guys half a novel every few months. Let's see if I can actually carry through with that, though. Simon, thank you very much. Oh, any any email you send in is a treasure. Short, long, I'll take it when I can get it. <laughs> that is uh, insane. I had heard about that. Um, I didn't know the details. I certainly didn't know, pff, like, not even just the cat hair puzzle, but, like, the even the context of it and even the broader scope of what you're trying to accomplish even that is ridiculous. Even the things surrounding it are ridiculous. But yeah, uh, rubbing maple syrup on your face and <laughs> sticking like just some fuck like just think about that for a second. Imagine a person in real life creating a fake mustache by imagine what somebody would look like if they rubbed maple syrup on their lip and then shoved cat hair onto it. Why don't you try it, Rob, and then post a picture on Twitter? I'm allergic True. to cats. Sorry. Perfect. <laughs> I'll sneeze it off. It won't work. Oh my gosh. Simon, that was a roller coaster of emotions, and I thank you. Uh and that's it. That's gonna wrap us up for emails for this I episode. Chase was joking about not sending an email in Yeah, there. Chase joking oh, well yeah, as I as as I thought too, thought jokingly said he wasn't gonna send us an email, but uh um obviously it's uh it's not. See how it is, Chase. Okay, so um, thank you everybody who wrote in. If you want to write us your thoughts on anything whatsoever, please do so. The uh, our email address is mail at classicgamingpodcast.com. As I said, our next top five. If you want to talk about that, is favorite uh, Mario series besides the mainline Mario series. Uh. And uh, real quick, huh? Current gaming subcast? Yeah, current gaming subcast. If anybody wants to talk about current games they've been playing real quick. Anything? I put everything on hold for Breath of Fire 3, and I am very excited to dive back into Final Fantasy VII Remake. Oh, so you are playing that? Yes, I love it so far. I am not super far, but I got to Aerith's house. Um, and a little past that. I don't remember exactly where I left off, but loving every minute of it, just seeing it in those beautiful... I honestly, watching the opening intro, almost started crying. Wow. 
oh, the graphics and just being, oh. <laughs> I really, as I said, I, I felt that it went on quite a bit longer than it should have, but I really overall really did like it as well. Um, That's really good game for me. Jeez, I've just played a lot more um, Final Fantasy XIV once again. Still having a ton of fun with that. I started. Um, I, I still haven't leveled my. So my my main class is Summoner, and I haven't like maxed out that level yet. I still have a, a ways to go. I'm on like the max level is eighty, and I'm on sixty. I think sixty six. And, but like when you're in this range of levels, it takes a long time to get to the next level. So maybe for you, huh? Maybe for you. <laughs> so <laughs> I've got a ways to go. I've got a long ways to go before I get to 80 for sure. But I have also been trying out a couple other classes. And one that I really like a lot is Lancer, which eventually um, turns into, well, it can turn into, uh, you can, once you get to, I think, I think it's level 50. It's either level 30 or 50. At some point you get to, uh, you can change the job on that class from Lancer to Dragoon. And that's supposed to be a really fun class. So um, I'm leveling up my Lancer right now as well. So I started doing, obviously that's a melee class and Summoner is not. So that's, you know, a little bit different. I've been having some fun testing that out. I still do like all the crafting and gathering classes and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just like a total, like... It's like, I'm like the, somehow this turns me into the like stereotypical MMO nerd where like I log on and sometimes I'll spend 45 minutes just like crafting and like the crafting gear that you wear looks so dorky in this game. It's like, I have to imagine it's on purpose. They make you look like the biggest idiot with the stuff you have to wear to like have good gear for crafting and all that. Uh, it's really hilarious, but, um. Yes, I'm doing that. I'm still having lots of fun. As I said, I just, just now got into the content of the first expansion and I'm really enjoying it. They kind of like they, you know, there's some new areas that it opens up and some extra classes and stuff. And so far, I'm really liking all of it. The story, this is where also where the story starts, supposedly starts to get really good. And I'm enjoying that uh, as so far as well. So yeah, Final Fantasy 14. I'm still having lots of fun. Um, Jay, you got anything? No, uh, just been kind of doing my thing. I haven't really actually been playing too many games right now, unfortunately. Okay. Well, I think that's going to wrap us up for this episode. Um, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on. It was very fun. We, uh, we had fun. Thank you guys so much for having me. Really. I've been looking forward to this. I've wanted this to happen ever since, uh, early early on when you had the after school all-stars fundraiser and uh oh yeah that's right <laughs> finally achieved my dream and uh if i could just recommend one other podcast it's a uh, tales of the lesser medium they play through video games and tell the story of it and they did the resident evil series it is so funny it's cool. just yeah it's not talking about the game it's all just the storytelling of the story of the game and how ridiculous it actually is i cannot recommend it any more highly it's pretty new so they only have so many episodes but uh yeah it is a crack up uh i do i i haven't listened to any of their uh stuff but i am familiar with the podcast and i i, I should check i should finally check it out yeah 
I, I just wanted to give them a shout out. But yeah, thanks again for having me, guys. I really, of course, so much fun. That was our pleasure. It was fun. Yeah. Um. What else? So yeah, send us your emails. Follow us at uh, Class Gamescast. You can follow me. I am at King Octavius. Uh, J- uh, Jeff, what about you? Want people to follow you on Twitter? You want to shout out your Twitter thing? Oh, sure. I'm I'm Siffle Jeff Eight S I F L Jeff Eight. You can just look at the followers of Classic Gaming Podcast, but I don't do anything interesting on there. It's more. <laughs> but you do talk to Simon, so maybe uh, they can yeah, get at, the hot I scoop at- on potential they email. should follow simon because she is funnier than me and she posts uh well she hasn't been doing it lately but she used to post art that she drew and she's pretty good so awesome uh is that it jay anything else am i leaving anything out no i think that's everything well thank you everybody for listening leave us all some reviews on itunes tell all of your friends to listen to us and, and as we as we confer as we uh decided during this episode our next game of the quarter which we'll talk about at the end of the year is final fantasy 11 I'm really looking forward to this. This is going to be... Yeah, likewise. Yeah, this is going to be cool, I think. If not cool, at least interesting. Uh, it's that is be, very true. But I, I'm looking forward to it. So, if you want to if you want to start playing on that, start. if you want to start playing that, it is a buy and subscribe to game, so there's like nothing free about it. But um, And it's very, very grindy. Very grindy. And also... When you die, you lose experience. Correct. And you can actually level down <laughs> from that. So, uh, yeah, it's this should be. I, I'm this. This will be interesting. Thank you all for listening very much, Jeff. Thanks again for coming on, and we will see you guys in three weeks. Do 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 do